The intermediate line advises a language and concept warning for the entire show. The intermediate line is brought to you by nervouswater.com.au. Thomas and Thomas fly rods, Shilton fly reels, and Colton fly line. Power pole, total boat control. Kenna fly apparel, from time on the water to you. Beast brushes, we stay in our lane of experience to improve your experience. Welcome back, listeners, to another sensational episode of the Intermediate Line. Welcome to my co-host, Chris, the Honey Badger Adams. How you going, buddy? <laughs> <laughs> Is it because I'm sitting here in tradie undies? <laughs> Could be. I'm glad you're yeah. wearing something, mate. Yeah. 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 yeah, no, mate. Yeah, it's, uh, thank you, man. I appreciate it. Well, it's winter, you know. It can't be... Um, can't be running that run the gauntlet in B Studios in winter, mate. It's uh, it's a bit nippy. Yeah, mate. Yeah, bit uh, a bit abbreviated. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. We couldn't, we, you don't want to be flaunting any cremasteric response. Cremasteric. Cremasteric. Wow, I don't even know what that means. I'm going to be googling that while we're talking. So. Google McDougal, mate, for sure. Well, I bring up some announcements, mate. I got an announcement to um to make on behalf of. The AFO Hinch and Brook Challenge. Hinch and Brook. Hinch in Brook Challenge. It's good to enunciate. We didn't do any word practicing before the uh, show today, but uh, we'll get there, mate. We'll get there. We'll warm up to it. How are you going with your Google, mate? Yeah, no, I'm just I'm not listening, mate. Yeah. Okay, cool, man. Yeah, I'll, cool, I'll continue cool. on. Let's talk about Hinchy. Let's let's talk about how, you know, um, when somebody mentions word Hinch and Brook and mm. Challenge, what happens mm. to your? Uh, does it have a reaction to your skin? Like, I get a twitch. Yeah, I call like it a twitch and brook. <laughs> twitch and brook, like a superficial mm. reflex. <laughs> no, I got no. no reason to, man. I got no reason to. I'm, I'm actually really excited because you know what? Um, comps like this, in my opinion, are so in- integral to, um, to Austra- like it's so important. Is what I mean. What I mean for the Australian saltwater fly fishing, you know, and. Uh-huh. Although I, I I'm not a big fan. I used to do comps, as you would know. We we met at a comp, you know, like uh, back we did twenty odd years ago. Um, we remember it fondly too. People should, you know, people yeah. would like to reminisce about that. I think. Well, not now, though. Yeah, true. We're doing it in the middle of announcements. 
Go back to searching for cremasteric response, mate, while I do this, okay? Sorry, sorry. Uh, um, <laughs> um, in other words, suck it up, right? Uh-huh. Um, Keep going. Um, <laughs> uh, um, um, yeah, so I think they're really important. So I'm excited about it because I want to see who won, who wins, what they do, how they've done it, and what they, how they win and what they do. Because even when it's tough conditions and people complain about, oh, it's a shit tide, they need to hold on a better tide, I really like that um, having that set date, set weather, and putting everyone in the same playing field and watching cream right to the rise to the top. You know, it's cool. It is cool. And we learn from it because when you when you hear about how the winners done it, what they use, what what they did, their strategy is, we all learn. It's it the comps are so important to the progression of the sport. They really are. Um, and this one is this comp is no slouch in that respect. So well, they wanted me to uh, mention on the show that um, that there's still some some nominations left. By that I mean you can, you know, choose to enter the tournament. Yeah, nominations yeah. go go pretty quick usually, and it's only been open for a week or something. It's nearly sold out already. I would encourage anybody who's thinking about having a crack to have a crack. Mm. Um, the guys up there, particularly if you're new to the area, they're very inclusive. They're very friendly. Um, they will help you out. They're they're lovely guys. Um, and they're very keen fishermen. There's some incredible fishermen up there, and a lot of them take it very seriously too. Um, and it is a challenge to literally, you know, catch all, all those fish, the species, in um, in the time allotted. Um, and it takes it takes a lot of dedication, takes a lot of moving around, takes a lot of local knowledge, but doesn't mean that you can't be competitive and you can't have a good time if you're new to the area. Um, it's just a great place to go fishing full stop. And the mm. fact that... There's good people up there and combine that with, with an actual challenge that is a very constructive environment. Um, it's pretty good. Um, you know, it, you have to be, you have to be, um, you know, on, on your medal ladder to, 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 to um, finish at the top. There's, yeah. You don't win, win by accident. Yeah. What, what you're saying is the time for talk is over. Yeah. If you're gonna if you're gonna put yourself like if you if you know like let's say you're an industry type or something like that and you're gonna put yourself up for nomination, you know I guess mate if you've been running your mouth off online and um and whatever like this is the time to prove it, so it'll be um it'll be interesting to see who who comes to the top this uh this year. I believe uh, Dan Collins has been out for most of the year in his preparation with um um some uh, i don't want to talk about it i guess uh because it's not my place and he's probably cool with it but i just don't haven't asked him if i could but i don't think he's been fishing much this year you know so that really opens up the comp for a lot of people you know i'm sure dan could probably catch a fish in a puddle in the car park i'm sure but um but i know that in previous years he puts a lot of uh, effort into it and i guess we're talking like sports commentators when we're talking about the uh the field like this the brain fish yeah yeah. Pre-fish, does say pre-fish? Bring the pre- well, the pre-fish for those that put the effort in is, is usually not just the weekend before. It's uh, yes. it's the it's the months leading up to it. And I don't think Dan's been able to do much fishing. Um, okay. I didn't know that. I'd be yeah. that guy. And, and what right? about the uh, off-water activities, mate? The, uh, Ooh, they're, they're sharp, mate. Yeah, you got to be on your game there, mate. Yeah. Um, you know, the best way to approach someone, if you're new to the company, you're rocking up, and the best, well, the best way... Is to shout around to shandies, you know, and um, and when you bring the, sh- the shandies come over to the table, you know, make sure you've got, you know, you assert yourself as pack leader by carrying a um a vodka cruiser, pineapple vodka cruiser. Ah. And, yeah, and that's the best way to get in with any North Queenslander, you yeah. know. I'm yep. picturing something here like 
like uh, Gary, for example, on Team America walking into the uh, terrorist bar. And Gary! Uh, <laughs> so, is there any terrorist activities planned? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Doka Doka Muhammad Jihad. Um, <laughs> intelligence has told us, Gary, that uh, <laughs> oh, great, movie. Yeah. great movie, great movie, great movie. Yeah. So yeah, look, um, it's a species tournament. Uh, uh -huh. You know, it's uh, so it's not about it's not about the biggest fish, although there are categories of prizes there. The categories are a bit confusing to me. I like I had it all explained to me with with. Um, you know, there's 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 bets and stuff like that going on there, and whatever. Like, there's a lot of stuff going on. It's a pretty cool, eclectic uh, style tournament. That's that you know, it, you're in with a swingers chance, mate. You know, hitting hope, so to speak. You know, if you're yep. if you're in the comp, that you got you got a chance of winning. That's for sure. You can win a prize. There's plenty of prizes. Biggest tarpon, biggest this, biggest that. Is there a prize for biggest biggest brim? biggest biggest brim? I was about to say that, mate. There is there is the biggest brim, like. Yeah, I believe so, mate. I, I don't know what that that trophy's called. Um, yeah. It'll come to me, I'm sure. But um, but there is. Is it is, a prize? A... Is it something you can be proud of, or what? It's, it's, I think it's a trophy. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Yeah, yeah, I believe it's a trophy, mate. Uh, I love a bronze them. one. Yeah, okay, bronze. Mm. I think it could be. Um... I'm not sure. I'm not 100, percent but I think it's a bust, right? Like it's someone's someone's bust. <laughs> Where are you going with this? I uh, know I'm not going anywhere. I'm just my recollection because uh, I was up there a couple of years ago and I uh, just attended the the social frivolities and um, <coughs> and uh, I had a great time, but sure. you know I had to walk around the um, the winners circle there and I noticed that there was. A unique trophy there, and I believe it was um, yeah, biggest brim or something like that, right? Right. Okay. Yeah. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. You know what? You know what, Volts? I, I reckon that. Uh, have you fished that tournament before? I have. Well, I've fished it a few times actually. Once we donated. Another time we did really well on tarpon and uh, finished. I don't know middle field, I guess. Um, yeah, with a, a little bit of local knowledge goes a long way up there. Hmm. Um, it Queenfish are big in comps, right? Up there? Yeah, well, one comp we, um, <laughs> me, me and Kim smashed some smashed queenies. Um, did it pretty really? well. Oh, Kim gave me a, a bloody queenfish in less than that time. Really? It's the, the queenfish clinic. Yeah, it's a clinic. Put on a clinic. You could say yeah. that you guys were the champions. Uh, well, he was. He, he got the biggest and most queenies, so I, I, I didn't. Um, I never, never caught a brim in it, comp, I don't think. But yeah, uh, yeah. Brim, mm. Brimdian Rhapsody. Um, <laughs> there's one brim, thing, Brimhemian. There's one thing I like catching, well, fishing for more than brim. It's brim fishermen. Yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> it is it is it is delightful, isn't it, to um yeah. to fish for brim fishermen? Um, yeah, man. Like, uh, uh, look, I feel like we've um. You know, we've we've consumed a lot of people's time by by fishing for brim fishermen on the podcast and trout fishermen and stuff. We got to do something. Got to do something. It's a bit more, bit more creative, just to let them know, like to to let them know that they're in their own. They've they're they've fallen into the trap by themselves without it getting forced upon them by just listening to the podcast. Uh huh. Sure. How do we go well, about that? I don't know. Um. Look, I mean, people know what you think of brim. It's just fun and games, people. It's just fun and games. But you know Why what? Don't, 
you, you surely you'd have a picture for a brim you've caught somewhere, right? I've caught more. It sounds like a boast. I've caught more permit on fly than brim, but I've got one here. I'll throw it up. All right, we can all have a, have a laugh. Um, we're gonna have a laugh, or we, or is this? Um, I guarantee you're gonna get people that are gonna have a, a an opportunity to tee off on you here. So I mean, yeah. Um, what are you gonna you know, like? Yeah, yeah. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna put something up. All right, and we'll see we'll see what the, the see what now. The cat, cat drags. I'm doing it as, as we speak. All right, I'm even gonna misspell a word. See if I can get someone on that. Um, yeah, this is a pikey brim. See if someone will have a have a swing at that one. Uh, a few silly hashies. So, what's the intention here? Like, um, are you looking to get people to like? Uh, are you? You see, you're fishing for the comments, yeah? <laughs> Just for a bit of fun, I don't care. Yeah, it's all lighthearted, mate. Seems Not very it. aggressive to me, Volts. I, I don't know. It is to me. It's you can just... see right through your charade here. You do this before breakfast. That's yours. <laughs> I think you're a bit of a cozy size, So whatever his name is, do you know what I mean? Right? Is it cozy size? Co- oh. Drawing a blank. What are you talking about? Kaiser Soze, Kaiser Soze, yeah, I think that is. It's oh, uh, right. it's in a movie where um, you know, he talks about, but like a series of, uh, anyway, yeah, it, you, people know what I'm talking about. <laughs> but there's no yeah. time. There's no time to get into it. You know what I'm talking about. And if you know, you know. And um, what that means is that you know, you say that uh, it's more my forte, but um. What is it they say about the devil? His greatest trick is convincing other people that he doesn't exist. Bit of a Kaiser Soze thing there with that, right? You know what I'm saying? Man, it's so thought-provoking. It is thought-provoking. Yeah. Which, which is what I think that you, this post you're about to put up with the brim is, right? It's up. Are you hoping to get you hoping to get people to sledge on you with this? Like, is, it, oh, is this a trap? No, no, it's just get people laughing, mate, you know? Yeah, such a disappointing. Uh, <laughs> I don't want World War Three. It's a brim, but, mate. Well, yeah. come on, mate. If anyone's going to incite World War Three over a picture of a brim, well, then hey, it's kind of on them, right? It is a bit of fun. It is a bit of fun. Yeah. But you have been weaved into Volti's trap. Yeah, yeah. So, the same way that uh, the same way that Hans Bricks fell for uh, Kim, <laughs> evil Kim Jong Il's trap. <laughs> Team America. Little bit more, yeah. little bit more. Yeah. It's uh, it's weird you're saying this on today, being uh, July the fourth in um in the United States, and talking about Team America. Oh yeah, I hadn't thought of that. Mm. Oh yeah. Mm. Um. All right. Well, look. Um. We got a pretty good guest on tonight. Yeah. Yeah. This guy's exciting. What do we know about him? Who is he? You go. Uh, Mark Davis. He's um he's quite the singer. Um, I believe. And um, just he lives in the he lives in the in Broome in the Broome region. Um, he's an author. Uh, he's um, got a good page called Flying Flying Dot Foam on Instagram. Kind of put me on the spot. I don't really have a monologue for him other than like he's a good dude. I know he fishes a lot and he's in a really really brilliant part of the world. And we've wanted to have him on for a long time um, because um, there's no one better to talk about certain areas and someone who fishes it well that's right yep and yeah he's you can see from his photos there on his insta page he's been around he hasn't only been up broom he's also been down at pilbara um i don't want to spoil the story but 
we're, we're talking to a guy who knows what's up. So, mm. mm-hmm. um, yeah, I, I guess I was going to talk about on the on the intro as well. Uh, should I'll give it give a bit of a teaser, I suppose, because it's um it's a little bit of a little bit of a tied in with the the show sponsors and stuff. Got the um got the Powerpole move coming. Ooh, really? Yeah, very yeah. exciting. Uh, I'm uh, I'm pretty excited about it, mate. To be honest with you, it's going to be good. Yep, yep. I'm pretty. I'm a pretty heavy user of the of the old Lecky motor, and uh-huh. I've had um, you know, I've I've had a lot of things go wrong with with just pushing them to their limits, I guess you could say. And uh, from the way that 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 the the specifications, when you get right into the weeds for what we're allowed to see, I guess you could say, as far as consumers of of the power pole move trolling motor the specifications look great did you see that video of that dude cutting through the the weed mat with the electric motor yeah it looks amazing doesn't it just that was that was pretty incredible hey yeah yeah that was uh that opened my eyes there there seems to be a lot of things that are available with this motor that um aren't or haven't been available previously you and i know that um yeah, I've heard a lot more of the backstory from Powerpole themselves as far as how long they've been in the development from this. Mm. And it excites me to get something that um, that is setting, almost like setting a new standard. You, um, we're watching the competitors like rushing to come out with a, a brushless motor and just, you know, new models all of a sudden when Powerpole are about to relaunch. It must be huge threat to the other companies to have to quickly invest and come up with something like that. Um, but, you know... It, they're leading they're not coming from behind like they're not they're not copying a, an existing model or anything like that other than it being a, a, a electric propulsion that's about it really uh, it would be a hard market to break into you'd want to you'd want to make sure you're coming correct which is is synonymous with power pole like every other product they've got is you know market leading in in what they do can't well, imagine it being any different yeah yeah and they don't have the advantage of sort of uh tying in one of the sounded technologies or something like that with it mm. So you know, um, from that can be point, all on the, all on performance. Yeah, yeah, that's it. That's it's the only thing they can really compete on is durability, performance, and quality. Mm. Uh, you know, rather than just piggybacking, you know, someone who's afraid to change over their their sounder because of you know whatever brand allegiance they might have. This is literally, you know, looks to be. Um, at time may prove it wrong, but looks to be the best of the best in every category. So pretty mm. interesting. Yeah, well, we'll see. It'll be it'll be here soon, we'll, and um, we'll install it up, and we'll see. I'm going through the process of um, going through batteries and stuff like that. So, actually, looking at um, at the 36 volt version for for this one uh, at this time. Right. Just, I, I I know I've been speaking to um, Troy at Min Repairs, um, and like, well, I was going to run this past you anyway, but perhaps when it gets a bit closer, when it arrives, we can get we can get Des on to um, have a chat about these options and what they do and why uh and all that sort of uh, sorry why you would go 20 36 over 24 volt or 24 over 36 volt and weight differences and amp hours and blah 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 but um 36 i got to upgrade from 12 volts so i mean i'm going to be going either 20 24 volt or 36 volt anyway and um with lithium batteries being in one sealed unit both those voltages it really um, opens up the whole world as opposed to getting three battery banks, you know, for a 36 volt. Gotcha. Yeah. It's a, I looked at the specs of those too. Like the 36 volt is like you can go down in amp hours 
convincingly and it's a lighter unit still like 16 kilos you know yeah right yeah, yeah that's amazing isn't it it, it is that the lithium battery technology is is incredible anyway we're, we're we're looking we are actually are talking to have had a chat to an industry expert don't know if he's going to come on yet so we won't talk about that but um but but des is going to be uh, could talk to us in regards to both the motors and the batteries um it'll be really interesting you couldn't i couldn't i can't think of too many fly fishermen that don't have electric propulsion on the bow of their boat and even if you're not looking to spend the money on the power pole i think it would be a very interesting discussion because the um the way those low voltage systems work and the chemistry of, of lithium batteries is still something that's quite um generalized you know not not really nothing's really gone into a lot of depth in regards to it yeah yeah i say <laughs> it's say you good say you real good i'm looking forward to talking about this because a lot of misinformation out there mm. can oath mate can oath well, look. In the meantime, what do you say we uh, we get we get Mark on and we uh, and we have a chat to him about uh, what he knows about, which is probably not going to be lithium batteries. Well, let's, let's get him on. I'm looking forward to talking to this dude. Right, you are. Welcome back, folks, to another show, and um, we're here with Mark Davis. And Mark, I want to say thanks for joining us, mate, and making the time. Thanks, for, uh No, you're not Voltsy. You're Chris. No. Um, <laughs> yeah, good. Uh, good to be on the Dodcast, mate. Yeah, the Dodcast. <laughs> the call back to Stu Dodd, the the Stunicorn. That's right. He, uh, one of one of my idols. Very talented. You know Stu well. You hung out and fished with him, have you? I have. I have. Um, I think one of the great things about being in the Northwest and being a fly fisherman is, um, and I think Simon Penn would probably talk about this being the only permit guru in Broome for many years, is that people tend to track you down. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I met a couple of whale activists um, outside the shopping centre in Port Hedland um, back in the day. They had dreadlocks and, Look, they're a bit bit fresh to the ways of the north. They're babbling on about catching tiny trevally in the mangroves at high tide. Uh, I wasn't so hot on that. And uh, anyway, from that, I, I met Stu and Greg. Um, Greg, yeah, you, I think you guys know him. Yeah, the pirate. Um, yep. So, yeah, eventually, I think the great thing about Greg is we eventually got him onto a 10 weight instead of his six. And... Uh, <laughs> And Stu, Stu's, uh, Stu came on uh, my 40th uh, adventure to Cocos a few months ago. So um, it's good that, you know, a couple of my little little protégés and little achievements along the way. Nice. He'll, I'm sure he'll be listening to this. Uh, can you give us an update on uh, on Greg's um, jet jet flats boat, jet skiff? Do you know anything yeah, about Yeah. Um, yeah, I do. Um, yeah, I touched base. There was a really interesting build. Um, the last thing I know, he was running over anchor ropes, but... Um, yeah, on really purpose? Uh, hard to tell, but Greg and I shared many, many adventures 
um, many memorable adventures. I think we had dry age beef on a on a beach out in the Dampier Archipelago. Um, it was there for him to catch his first blue bastard. Back to the the boat. Oh, I think it's still going, but yeah, I think he's talking about vegetable oil or something a little bit more sustainable. Um, for so, fuel, like a fuel source. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think. <laughs> The great thing about Greg is he's always um, thinking of different ways to do things and always challenging the norm. So, um, you know, a little bit like myself, I like to see things a little bit of a different way. So I think that's, um, yeah, great thing about his friendship. Yeah, mate. Well, we, we, we had him on the show. I don't know if you know that. And, um, and, and he, he gave us the rundown on the, on the jet skiff and what it was up to. But sounds like it was pretty close back then, you know. And I don't know how long ago that was now. That could have been almost a year ago we had him on. Oh but, yeah, um, he got it. He got it up and running. He got some um, real adventures going. Uh, the mm-hmm. the thing that struck me about it was he was driving with a joystick, and there wasn't really a lot to hang on to in the boat because it was all, <laughs> it was all flush all deck. deck. So yeah, <laughs> I saw I saw these awesome vids of him screaming around the lagoon at Exmouth. Uh, I think he went out to Dampier a few times, and he started to go exploring. Um, because it had such a shallow draft and it was so light, he could just get it in at a lot of those Pilbara, well, we call them Pilbara boat ramps, but I guess it's just a bit of mud. Um, <laughs> and, yeah, he was seeing some really cool fish. Um, I think he's, you know, life's taken him down south with the family now, but, yeah, he was seeing some really cool stuff and screaming around in the jet boat just makes it all the more fun. So, Mm. Um, yeah, what a great character though. And, you know, I'm lucky to meet, you know, those two and a whole bunch of other great friends, you know, up north, um, through fly fishing really, which has been really cool. Yeah. Yeah. No, absolutely, mate. There's a, there's a, there's a big history in that, in that area, which we'll probably, um, you know, touch on a little bit tonight for sure today, whenever you listen to this, I suppose to the listener, but, um, but before we get into, um, you know, where, where you start and all that sort of stuff and, and bits and pieces, you're in the, you're in Broome now, right? That's right. Yeah. So been up in Broome for, uh, six years or so, um, before that Port Hedland, um, originally, um, from Perth, but I think, um, you know, I'd always, what, what really strikes me about being special about living up north here is, and I guess for anyone who lives in a in a great northern fishing location, is you can really pick the eyes out of your experiences. You you live right here. You wait till the the tides are primo or the weather's primo. Uh, we're all fair weather sail, sailors in the north, and and you really get the the good stuff. Uh, whereas when I was down south, uh, you wait for your annual trip up north. It might be to Exmouth, and it might be blowing blowing a gale or the tides might be wrong or the water cold or the fish had disappeared the day before Mm. um, and you wouldn't get fantastic experiences but getting to know and learn and experience a place all the time is a a bit of a privilege and um, you know there's not as many places to buy a coffee or you know go and eat out at a restaurant or do all the fancy things all the city slickers have uh, traffic Mm. lights but you know you, you trade all that especially during the, the wet season when the tourists are gone and there's no one around. <laughs> yeah, right, okay. Can, can I ask what, what dragged you up there? Uh, it was, well, I spent a bit of time in Carnarvon floating around and I thought, oh, 
at that time, I thought, oh, I don't want to be um, bumming around in Perth. So, yeah, got a job in Port Hedland. Um, I was lucky enough to run into to Jeff Anderson probably in the few months and someone said, oh, do you want to go to Port Hedland or Carrather? And I said, oh, Port Hedland. Jeff had sort of told me a few great stories and, uh, yes, yeah, so I rocked up in Port Hedland sort of early 2000s, uh, towed, towed up a four-metre dinghy, um, which was a fantastic introduction. And I just remember rocking up. I think it was at low tide. It wasn't really a fishing spot. And I rocked up at the mouth of this creek and there was a kilometre of sand flat out in front of me. And I went, oh, that's pretty daunting. So from there, it was a yeah pretty quick learning experience. Um, you never want to get stuck on a sandbank in your first year of being up north. <laughs> so, um, yeah, I met some some great friends and they started showing me around the place and um, started to learn the learn the traps, really, of what it's about to, to be in the proper north. You yeah. Know, six, metre, six metre tides and, you know, all the dream fish right on your doorstep, pretty much. Yeah, Broome's been renowned for some of the biggest tides in the world, right? It's up there. It's not the biggest, but it's, um, it's up there, isn't it? Like it's yeah. nine, nine, ten metre tides and stuff on springs, isn't it? Yep, yeah, spot on. Um, yep. And, yeah, Derby, Derby's a little bit bigger, I think. So it's a bit of a spin-out, um, and it. Uh, I had a friend up, and, you know, we we're launching off the beach one day, so I've got a six-metre bay boat that I um, – launch off the beach up here and he was going well this is pretty extreme because i was talking to him about oh you can't launch off that bit of sand over there it's too soft you need to get that bit which has got a bit of rock under it and you can't launch on this tide and that tide and his head was just exploding mm. um but yeah it's just deal- that's an example of dealing with the tides um, yeah but and i'm sure we'll touch on it later but some of those biggest tides can be some of the best fishing Okay, yeah, keen to find out about that. There's um some of the things we said earlier in conversation today that I want to bring back up and talk about on the show. But um, I, I'd like to sort of just before we move on too much further and stuff is is highlight the sort of fishing the areas you can tell us about the Kimberley. Like it's you know, well, Broome for example, we 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 think of Broome, we mainly think of salt water like pelagic and 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 some saltwater estuaries and stuff. But the Kimberley as a whole, like when we're talking about fishing the Kimberley area. It's a lot mm-hmm. more than that, right? There's, a, there's, there's, there's a lot of freshwater as well, right? Yeah, yeah. There's a lot of um, freshwater, I guess, anywhere like the territory or Queensland. With such a rainfall, there's a fair bit of freshwater um, kicking around. The, the, I guess the, the northwest area where I've lived could be split into a couple of different areas, and I'll come back to the Kimberley in a second. But the lower half, from almost you could say X mouth through to Port Hedland is known as the Pilbara region. Mm-hmm. Um, and then from Port Hedland right around to the border with the Territory is the Kimberley region. But, yeah, there's some amazing freshwater stuff. Uh, even, you know, everyone thinks of Barra and, and the glamour, the glamour species, but some of the little hidden away gems, um, I was lucky enough to get shown a few freshwater, well, it's pretty much a swamp, Paper bark and reed swamp that holds barra, tarpon, uh, giant herring, uh, mangrove jacks, which is you know fun on a stick with a mm. with a five weight. Um, and then when depending on how much rain we get, 
especially in the Broome area, um, the floodplains will start to fill up. Uh, this year was particularly good. I think we had a 600 mil dump over a few days and uh, it was pretty cool. I took the, the kids out to the floodplains over a two-month period and you could see the, the tarpon and the giant herring starting from, you know, as big as your finger uh, when we first came across them and they grew into, let's say, up to 30 centimetres or so. In yeah. about a month, they were just gorging. So we started catching them on the five weight off the side of the highway. Um, the kids just had a ball. Yeah. And, you know, one side of the cult of the highway, you'd get giant herring. The other side was, was tarpon. Um, and <laughs> That's they just, awesome. Yeah, all congregated in this little flow for about a month. And, you know, every, every bit of bait, food, aquatic um, life was flushing through there and they just sat there with their mouths open pretty much. Mm. I, uh, I'm, sorry, mate, you go. Uh, no, I was going to say, so it was great to see that and then I guess the yeah. flip side of that is when the water started to dry up um, on the floodplains, it all flushes out to the ocean um, one way or another and all that bait and fish and, you know, biomass starts to... Um, feed the food chain in the marine environment, which is good to see. But yeah, otherwise through the through the Kimberley region, the Sooty Grunner fishing um, is pretty good um, in the you know the gorges along the Gibb River Road, which is one of the main unsealed tourism um, drives through the Kimberley, uh, the Kununurra area. Um, the stocking of Lake Kununurra has been incredibly successful. Um, the Barra. Uh, you know, four or five years, the fish are, you know, a metre 20-ish. Um, oh, wow. Yeah, pretty challenging on fly, but I think there's a bit of potential there in some circumstances. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's, yeah, a whole heap of um, opportunities from little little fun stuff through to, yeah, big bulldog <laughs> type stuff. Yeah. So, Mark... Um- just rewind, and there's a, there's a lot to unpack there with those freshwater options, and you know it's it, you know it sounds like a real bounty. Um, geographically speaking, you know, like you that is a big like if you were to drive from Lake Kununurra to Broome, like what is that sort of ten hours or something? Well, yep, yep, yep. And um, there's a lot going on there, man. So um, just starting back where you were talking about the Broome freshwater options. Um, you know, you had that floodplain experience. Did you get milkfish up there as well with the giants and the um, tarpon? Uh, no, there weren't milkfish on this floodplain, which was yeah. which was odd. Um, but there's another freshwater area where often um, I'm not sure how it all works. About uh, my suspicion is sometimes when it floods, this this area will link up to. What the upper reaches of one of the creeks and I think that's when we see a bit of a recruitment with milkfish, jacks, um, maybe even barra. Um, but sort of you go from all of a sudden there's no milkfish and then it's almost like a, a milkfish hatch and there will be just be bucket loads of tiny milkfish kicking around. And they grow pretty quickly as well and that's mm. when some of the best uh barra fishing you know only little barra um sort of foot long sort of fish uh can be when the water starts to drop the you know these schools of milkfish fry push off superheated um areas of shallow mud 
and as they sort of run run the gauntlet mm. um, through little channels, there's yeah all the the tiny barra just sit there and yeah it can be chaos. Um, you know you sort of you don't even strip your fly. You just um, uh, what do they call it? So the trout fishing, the lock style fishing, where they wake, dabbing, they take a fly. Yeah, dabbing, sort of dabbing or waking. You know, you're not retrieving. You're just using your rod to to skim the fly across. Yeah, dabbing, can, dabbing or gapping? Yeah, dab, dabbing. D a double p i n g, right? Yeah, let's roll with that. Um, yeah, yeah. So you go dabbing for batter. Yeah. Do you, do you think do you think that there could be a real untapped tenkara market there? Definitely. About it. <laughs> are we are we going to see Kimberly underscore tenkara as your as your new or alternate sort of alter ego on Instagram? You know. Well, I think when they talk about maximising your Instagram value, it's all about having those spin off um, alternative true. accounts. Yeah, very true. Um, so yeah, maybe I could roll with that. I better get onto it actually before it goes could, live. You David. could host Broom's first ten car a month. <laughs> mm. You know, it's uh, and be pr- just be bad. proud of ten car for a month. I wonder whether it would be because um, I understand sort of the the importance of tradition um, mm. amongst some of the the Japanese art. I wonder. And I hope I'm not. I wouldn't be offending anybody to be throwing gurglers on my tenkara. Oh, not absolutely not! You're not throwing them. You're sweeping them. You're just sort of, you know. Oh yeah, yeah. It's yeah. sort of like yeah. roundhouse. I've already thought about it. This is your new your new Instagram tag will be Davis does dapping something like that. Oh, <laughs> perfect, perfect. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> I can see it now. <laughs> that makes makes me think of um someone does Dallas, but I probably. <laughs> Go the Kimberly Tenkara. Yeah, Thanks. you could have a I'll you could have a you could have the Kimberly Kumite of um, Tenkara fishermen as well. But, well, I guess that it's pretty cool now that you speak of it. Uh, that there are uh, one of the cool things about Broom is there's people of all nationalities. That's one thing that Perling brought to the Kimberly. Ah, uh, yeah, and sponsored Broom by Matsu. Yes, yeah. Uh, creators of the the ginger beer, which no one, not locals, don't really drink that. But the matzo, anyway. matzo ginger beer, is that? Yeah, yeah, yeah it's right. more of a um visitor thing. Like, oh yeah, I went to Broome and drank matzo's ginger beer, and that's great. That's great. Is, is there still a strong Japanese presence, like culturally in in? Um, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. what I was going to say. There's some yeah, because um, you got the pearling really cool stuff. There. Yeah, correct. Yep. Um, and then a lot of. Um, sort of the old family names are still present in Broome. A few of the old, really old hard hat divers, um, there's not really many left. Um, I was lucky uh-huh. enough to meet meet one the other day. I was um, hitting him up about wonky holes. But, um, uh, yeah, Japanese. So, yeah, there is a Japanese um, spirit here. I think the cool thing about Broome to get back on my train of thought is that with that all spirit, uh, the the multicultural spirit and that sort of a, a town built on pearling is that we still very much move by the tides. So they mm. talk about in the old days when it was the spring tides, the luggers would come in and everyone would go down to a particular jetty to see their families, etc. come in as a whole bit of, ex- and, you know, kids would wait for their dads and yada, yada. Mm. Um, 
and that that sort of ebb and flow of the neeps and the springs is i guess how we live our life now mm. um when it's neat tides you you know to go and do xyz when it's spring tides you go and do do other stuff um so because we yep. do have su- such big tides here it is really a, a dominating feature of what you get up to on a fortnightly basis that, that's amazing that it indexes well the people there the inhabitants you know index off that and um you know it forms its own natural rhythm um did, mm. i was i was fortunate enough to visit broom well a long time ago and not in the 90s and there, there was a people were talking about um uh broom time like as a, a natural phenomenon is that something that's still you know sort of the uh, relaxed sort of rhythm of the place is that still a thing yeah i think so people talk about yeah. it it's um yeah a bit of a, a construct but i think for the whole of you know whether it's broom time broom time's probably got a bit of a name to it but the whole of the northwest probably yeah. is i'm assuming far north queensland and the territory's got its own you know operating time <laughs> which is yeah. a bit, which is a bit slower um and yeah i mean don't have well the only thing you don't want to be slow about is getting stuck up a tight up a creek when the tide's going down that's yeah. the, the one thing you need to be, <laughs> be on to and and checking that's what i set my alarm clock for on the phone when i'm out on the boat um but other than that it's yeah it's a pretty good lifestyle um, um what about um as you head into the kimberleys they're always still on this freshwater theme Mm-hmm. Do, what, what about going up to uh is it geeky gorge and is the fitzroy mm-hmm. river and you've got all those mm-hmm. um do, do you get into that sort of fishing up there for barrow yeah, yeah yeah um the a lot of the bigger river systems the the salt unless you've got real gorge country up through let's say the top of the kimberley which is spectacular you know that's the old malcolm douglas in search of big barra um sort of stuff uh which i saw on youtube the other day you know that's where he's catching barrow amongst these on fly amongst these spectacular um kimberly gorges they're quite narrow so they're easy to fish but when you think about those big tides um bigger bodies of water not a lot of structure generally um they're pretty challenging to to fish with fly um the fresh waters and sort of that brackish salt salt fresh um mix is probably where the real magic happens um i've fished a few of the billabongs for barrow we had a one really good trip where we rocked up at a billabong system and there was barrow cruising the edges and in weed beds and um we're catching on surface flies and it was pretty spectacular um until we worked out that they were pumping water out for a irrigation scheme and all the fish were just gasping for airs and mm. you know around the next corner there was 50 freshwater crocs eating all the the fish that hadn't survived so um but as an example of when you get the lower water levels the the fishing can be amazing and there's spots that do happen um and do turn on like that when the water's not so deoxygenated mm. uh but yeah geeky gorge and that yeah um once again big big areas um they hold barra but it's probably more of a um lure fisherman's um sort of scenario that said um probably the thing i've found 
with the whole of the Northwest is the more you look, the more you'll find little little gems. So, you know, you find little spots with laid-up barra um, or you find all, all sorts of things. Um, you know, you'd be amazed when the water's clear how many permit you see just cruising around the beaches. Um, mm. If you start looking you with, you know, and you're looking for a particular thing and you know a bit about, let's say, how permit feed or where they hang out, you know, they're everywhere mm. or there's barra everywhere. So there's no reason why somewhere like Geeky Gorge, for instance, would not have good good fly fishing. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, really interesting, mate. Right? Experience that. Mm. Okay. Um, have you like we talk about? You talked about like the range. You talk, you started to find um, a geographical area as far as you know Port Headland right around the border and stuff. But um, what about uh, you know? I would imagine areas like the Mitchell Falls, you know, Mitchell River area, you know, that sort of area. That'd be pretty inaccessible, right? Yeah, um, I guess the Mitchell Plateau has become a lot more uh, accessible over time. I remember reading old old magazine articles about some of the early fishing camps, you know, busting up boat trailers and all sorts, getting into those areas, Port Warenda and um, amazing places. But yeah, there's even places that are reasonably accessible don't get pressure so um mm. there's spots around dampier and especially fly fishing pressure as well uh, mm. dampier port headland which are, are, you know all these uh towns or or population centers they're still not getting pressure you could be half an hour away and mm. you won't see another boat on the flats yeah okay you'll, you'll be out you know, in Port Hedland, I spent a lot of time while I was getting the hang of it fishing the, the channel markers. Uh, and you wouldn't see anybody else fishing the channel markers and you'd catch queenies and, and brassies all day long. you just go from marker to marker and you odd tuna and mackerel and all sorts of stuff. You just got the run of the joint. And I think if, if there was another boat doing it and if, if I come across another boat doing what I want to do on any chosen day, it's like, oh, gee, that's a bit weird. Um and sort of take off and do something else. It sort of feels a bit bit cramped. Um, you know, whether or not we're spoiled or whether or not that's just the way it is and we're, we're making hay, well, yeah, I guess it remains to be seen. Oh, mate, I'd be I'd be cherishing, cherishing, cherish, you know what I mean, every moment <laughs> um, while you got it, you know, that's, uh, because um, there's plenty of other parts in Australia, as you would know, that, that, that aren't as lucky to be like, oh, shit, another person, that's weird. Yeah, yeah, and I think, um, you know, I started my northwest fly fishing journey in in the Pilbara, and I remember um, a few other guys knew the Dampier Islands a lot better than I did, and we sort of went exploring, and in those, yeah, some of the blue bastard fishing, I I don't know when they would have last been fished to or ever been fished to, um, even the permit on the flats, even to this day, um, I did a trip back in April um, last year with my two boys and, yeah, amazing fishing. No one down there, just like I'd sort of left it yesterday. Um, that said, the probably the one thing that has declined a bit in the Pilbara around the population centres is the blue bone numbers. Mm-hmm. Um, 
I think with spear fishing, um, fairly popular and you know they're just a popular eating fish so i guess it's been would be natural but it was quite uh marked that there was a particular reef um where i reckon they're feeding on snails because it was a really hard reef little tiny little holes in it and just full of snails and the first few times we came across it there'd be half a dozen fish tailing over let's say 100 meters um, sometimes yep. more and then progressively that number dropped to you know if you see if you saw one tailing there now i'd be very surprised well look um, um i want, want to get into that mark but look, before we before we start to get into sort of specifics in regards to some of the fishing around mm-hmm. port headland and stuff like that um mm-hmm. the, or the pilbara um you know like it's quite to compare the two i guess you could say this would be an interesting thing because um they're quite different fisheries from people we've spoken to. Having never, I mean, I've, I've fished broom as we spoke about earlier today, but I've never fished the Pilbara. But I believe it's a, it's a, it's a pretty different um, place, a feel, mm-hmm. the, the fishery, the tides, the, the, the environment, everything like that. It's, it, it's relatively different. If you were to make comparisons and compare the two, um, as, as which I know could be quite detailed, but as briefly as you could, how would you do that? Yeah. The the Pilbara fishery is probably more like Exmouth for people that are familiar with that sort of. Well, let's let's pretend fishery. that no no one's been yep. to any any of those areas there. Yeah, you know? sure. Um, yep. So clear clear water periods of clear water on the flats. Yep. Large um, areas of brown sand flats at the mouths of the coastal rivers. Uh, lots of islands with fringing coral rubble reefs. Uh, the islands themselves are well usually iron ore, so they're bright red. Mm. Uh, so you know they blow your retinas out pretty much if you're driving around in the middle of the day. You yeah, know, just right. the, the contrast in colour with blue water at high tide, bit of green mangrove, and then these red islands—it's stunning. Mm. Um, so a lot more sort of of your traditional flats style fishing. Um, with cruising permit, cruising queenies, um, then you've got your your bastards and your blue bone on the sort of the the reefy rubble mangrovey type areas mm. uh, offshore um, because there isn't such a large tidal ranges. So you've got six metre tidal range on the springs, which still is a fair whack. Um, yeah, the indoor reefs and shoals are just bubbling with queenies, mackerel, tuna, brassies, yada, yada. So great inshore fishery, um, really diverse, lots of fish numbers. Mm. So, okay, yeah, right. That's, um, um, so yeah, comparison Kimberley. to, yeah, yep, go, yep. Yeah, Kimberley, uh, that clear water is, you know, 5% of the spots will have clear water. And when it's clear, it's usually because there's clear sand, clean sand, uh, which doesn't hold a lot of, um, I guess, food in the benthic strata. Nice. And <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> yeah. Yep. You're welcome. Um, so <laughs> there's a lot more, there's a lot more silt. So you've got that, uh, you know, it's like New Zealand where, there's a glaciation index. I don't know if that's made up or not, but 
we always used to say, oh, that river's got a high glaciation index because it just had that silty white colour. That's exactly what it's like up here, but pretty much all the time, unless you've got dead, dead tides. So what that means is that a lot of the the visibility combined with the tidal movements means, you know, you're tailing blue bone, you're tailing bastards, your clear water one-on-one permit fishing uh, is pretty much non-existent or really hard to find. Mm. What the Kimberley does offer, though, is I guess you're getting into better and more consistent barra fishing in the creeks. Um, offshore, the sailfish fishery is really close to shore, so you'll come across free, free swimmers within, you know, uh, within a kilometre of shore quite often. Um, so that's pretty cool for small boat fishermen as far as accessing a, a game fish and, you know, a dream fish for a lot of people. Uh, the And the, the inshore sort of uh, the bays, so by a bay, sort of a mix of estuary and uh, estuary and inshore sort of stuff because it's turbid, it's silty, um, bit of mud, bit of rock, bit of sand. That fishing can be really good. And for species, for barra, get out on the flats, threadfin salmon, blue salmon, uh, queen fish, um, different bibs and bobs, so our triple tail as well. So a lot, a lot of funky species up in this area, whereas the Pilbara is a bit, bit more just your generic um, big five of the flats, really. <laughs> yeah, fair enough, fair enough. So if you like, if you're going to have a travelling angler that was going to like you know tow, tow the old tinny up from wherever, um, say trout country somewhere, you know, and. Um, uh, you know, you Port Headland sounds seems like the or the Pilbara seems like a more of a, a palatable area for that sort of that sort of fishing, right? I mean, you get caught in big tides around the Kimberley somewhere. Um, you know, the water's not clear. You'd have to have an understanding of, of of the way rivers or salt water estuaries work to be able to fish them, um, as opposed to seeing the fish in some circumstances, right? To I mean to to be to be to be finding clear water in the Kimberley sounds like it's you know it's a bit more of a local local knowledge sort of thing, right, and being Johnny on the spot, whereas the Pilbara seems more of a forgiving area for uh, con- not so much conditions but water clarity, right? Yeah, yeah, spot on. And I think that the good thing about the Pilbara as well for, you know, old Bill um, towing his, his tinny up from Tassie, mm. there's concrete launching ramps um, down in the Pilbara. Um, there's a few of those, those mod cons. I think the great – Thing about a place like Dampier is with the the archipelago you launch your boat and you're in the archipelago pretty much so there's always some shelter um, a lot of our spots were found during the summer period which is when I used to go down there when it was too blown out on the more open um, coastal flats mm. and so a lot of our spots were um, facing away from a sea breeze uh, so but if you go down at say during the dry season when the wind's coming from the other way there's a whole heap of other sort of different flats that you can access if that's what you want to do plus you've got you know cobia on manta rays um triple tail to an extent you've got tuna and channel markers and all sorts i mean pretty much you could if you look at look at one of these places like headland or dampier 
or even broom. There's so many different opportunities. You, you really just got to go, all right, well, I'm just going to do that because it'll take you four or five days to probably suss it out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I guess um, by fishing the Pilbara, you don't have the risk of uh, crocs either, right? Uh, not not so much. I think you'd still be unlucky um, to, to get eaten in Broome, although there's some, some good stories uh, going around of, you know, guys casting at permit and there was a croc sitting in the channel and all this sort of stuff. Uh, I haven't seen it myself, but, uh, yeah, generally speaking. But then you've got things like box jellyfish, uh, you step on a stonefish, you know, there's still still ways you can come astray. I think mm. one of the interesting things that, that I found fishing down there is because you're fly fishing and you're automatically drawn to, to shallow water, there's a lot to, to think about. It's not just stalking a fish and finding a fish. It's about, you know, how do you navigate through a maze of sandbars Um how do you sneak up on a fish in your boat? How do you present with the wind? How do you find a, a flat which has got clear water at the particular tide? Um, there's this whole, you know, I could go on and on. There's a whole recipe that you need to put together all the little bits um, to just get you in front of a fish. Um, mm. And then you've you've got to have your, your fishing smarts and be able to see the fish present to it. Duh, duh, duh. Yeah, look, it's not shooting fish in a barrel for sure. Yeah, it's um, there's a there's a lot to there's a lot to work around. Not only the fishing, mm. the aspect of hunting a fish, but the um, you know, working with the environment in a safe manner. It, that's what you, that's what you're getting at, right? Spot on. That's a great summary, Chris. Yeah, um, I like how Some, you've done that. Summary so is eloquent. um, <laughs> ever since I studied summary at TAFE, I've, I've found myself quite proficient at it. So I really appreciate the compliment, mate. Thank you. No worries. Well. It was a good summary of me talking, but then you blabbled on about your own skills. <laughs> well, I think if 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 I don't, Volty won't. You know, see, see what I mean? Volty's been very quiet, so I'm interested to see what questions he's cooking up for me. Volty, you, you're on you're on the stage, mate. Listen, I can I, I did have some some technical data about the Kimberley, but we sort of moved past that. So I'm gonna I'll save that for afterwards. Um. We sort of morphed down. Typical data. Yeah, we did. Yeah, we sort of moved down towards uh, south of Broome, towards the Pilbara, and we sort of tickled the the fancy of of the Pilbara a little bit. But there's a bit that intrigues me. There's a few bits. uh, There's a few bits on a map that look like little inlets. um, You know, one between Broome and Eco Beach, and there's another one that looks like it's got a a caravan park called Port Smith. And they have those um, fluvial sedimentary fans out the front of them, which sort of indicates that um, <laughs> sandbanks out the front. And um, yep. did you do you have a look at all of those on the way? And you know, don't don't say if they're your secret spot or not. But have you looked at those ones? Yeah, I have. Um, I think the thing. So I'll I'll put it this way, and it's a little bit of a segue. I, I do do the occasional segue, so bear with me. So when I rocked up in Port Hedland, I took the boat out. Nice day, neat tides, clear water. And yep. this could have been rocking up in Dampier or rocking up in Broome. And I just went, oh, my gosh. Like, look at that sandbar there. Mm. That's got to have fish. No, mm-hmm. That rocky point with current on it, that's got to have a fish. So it took me a long time to work out 
that there's so much area that looks fishy, but it's just not. So um, let's use um, Port Smith as an example. And, uh, uh, you know, there's different fish and crabs and stuff offshore, but I'll talk from a fly fishing point of view. If you zoom in on that map that you're looking at, Volta, mm. you'll probably find that it's a really sandy, um, like the sand's white, which means that probably not a lot of life in it. Um, yeah. okay. And because of the, the bigger tides that are moving in and out, like the water is fairly blue, so that's going to make clear water. So there might be a bit of life. Um, so that would be my initial assessment looking at it. Then I'd, I'd if I've well, been there, um, so there's permit skills going in and out of the, the main sandbank, but I think that the main difference with permit in the Kimberley is they don't feed so much um, individually on the flats. They're generally in large schools and, you know, my take on it and from a bit of specimen sampling um, is that they feed predominantly on mussels. So if you mm -hmm. find areas that have mussel beds, that's what they're going to be chewing on. And as soon as, uh, and quite often they'll feed on mussel beds at the turn of the tide, so as soon yeah. as that tides up, you know, for let's say 11 hours of the day, mm. they'll just be sitting around and trying to digest, you know, half a foot of mussels that they've gorged themselves on in right. their big, big long stomachs. So, um, yeah, you it's, can catch them. Different it's funny. Scenario. Sorry. I, I, it's funny you mentioned that because I, I know we told, said off air, we wouldn't interrupt, but it's a point I really want to emphasise. My first permit came exactly that scenario. I was in it. It was actually in a creek on a mussel bed on a turn of the tide, and they were, the fish were were milling around. But it wasn't wasn't until the tide turned that this sort of this sort of happened. Um, well, they started eating anyway. Um, yeah. So it's, yeah. It's, and that was in that was in Cape York. So, um, you know that that is a phenomenon that obviously, and that was that was a nanak as well. So, um, it's clearly something that transfers across their range. I think so, and there's spots in the Pilbara um, where if you find a good mussel bed, likely that there'll be um, bee permit feeding there at some point. Um, there was a spot um, that I got shown very early on um, by a mate who'd found it one day because there was permit chasing, chasing guardies <laughs> for some silly reason. But, um, yeah, that was just a strip of reef. It had, um, not sure how you describe this benthic strata construct, Volte, <laughs> but it had a layer of soft, muddy silt on it that the mussels had grown in. So it was quite crunchy to walk on to the point where if you walk too heavily, the fish would actually swim up to you because they thought you're another permit, you know, doing the thing. And you could actually see these indentations where the permit had been tailing so hard. But that place was like clockwork for probably three or four years. The fish would just sit just off this strip of reef. As soon as the tide came up and was shin deep, you'd see, you know, usually late afternoon, the way the tides generally were at that time of year, you'd see one golden tail and then you'd look along and all of a sudden along 200 metres, there'd just be these pods of fish and tails popping up. And it was really quite something. They didn't eat a lot. We caught fish there mostly on mantis shrimp patterns. Um, but compared to the amount of fish we saw, 
to to what we caught was yeah pretty uh, wasn't a great hit rate mm. um in the mm. end the cyclone came all that silt got washed off the and mud got washed off the the reef and stripped it bare and yeah fish disappeared um and they yeah found them in another spot which was you know this was a nice flat reef this this next spot they rocked up at was you know oyster covered boulders rocks you know it was hard to walk through let alone you know pull a fish out of um but yeah we did <laughs> um but it's still yeah good fun so yeah certainly that oyster muscle bed seems to be a consistent um especially for the annex uh i have found in you know throwing the cast net around catch whiting and whatever at say cable beach for instance i've caught little annex and they're um you know they got the big nose they're a bit bit scratchy but then you cut then i've caught little blockies and the blockies are you know like a supermodel they're all beautiful and they've got their beautiful fins and they're i don't know they've been powdering their nose and using moisturizer <laughs> you know they're they're just pristine they are a pretty fish things. that's for sure yeah but and it makes me wonder well you know are they more the the shrimp the you know different prey species whereas the the annex you know and i'm sure blockies we know probably eat eat crabs and whatever elsewhere um but yeah whether or not the annex are more the the muscle muscle bed feeder and just scratch because some of them are horribly scratched up and you know they've got red bleeding fins and you know their faces are all red and you know i've heard theories that people reckon they're trying to rub out the fly but i think it's just how they feed mm. oh the gill plates are ratty too on a lot of occasions hey mm. they must push out a lot of that um benthic strata out, out the gills and it catches the gills the plate on the way past and so it yeah, always like, looks fresh and it always looks red you know like and bit beat wow. up and battered yeah yeah well i think so and i'd I think they're smart in that way that they're pushing out the gills rather than, you know, out the kyber. Um, <laughs> yeah, it would be pretty nasty, I'd imagine. And their version of probably, even a curry, right? Yeah, I would like a <laughs> curry full of mussel shells, though. Yeah, 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 yes, yeah. Well, that does, that's that's quite the vision, isn't it? Oh, I prefer not to. Thank you. Yeah, let's let's, let's skim past that. Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I felt like the show needed it, you know. I mean, we'll, we'll, only time will tell. Well, I, I appreciate the moment of silence for everyone to uh, visualise that, but, yeah, it's, uh, <laughs> let's, not, let's not dwell. Yeah, if you're just listening to this now, the reason that there's silence is I've just edited about a minute silence in there for you to picture that. <laughs> 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 it works well dramatic effect yeah Thank hey you. uh so uh, the where they were catching uh where where, where um heads and tails is filmed that's that's all that was all gone that's one of those areas that would have got taken away with the cyclone right no you're getting confused chris and i know i've talked about a whole heap of things but um no that was down in the pilbara um, what heads that, and tails that, is in the pilbara no, no, that uh, muscle bed I was talking about. Ah, the fluvial sedimentary muscle bed down in the Pilbara. Fluvial sedimentary fans, I believe it's referred to, right? Yeah, that's yeah. that. 
that's the sandbanks at the mouth of creeks yeah so is it okay cool thanks appreciate that yeah. uh information uh, so no no um <laughs> yeah no the mussel beds are, are still alive and well um it's an amazing little reef system up there you know there's mussels and there's all different clam species and yeah it's quite quite an interesting spot um where that that was filmed um yeah, you, know, you talked you talked about earlier about uh, you know, and it makes sense when you're talking about clean white sand and not a lot of life in it and stuff. But you see plenty of footage from um, from Broome, you know, for people who are going to film it, where you see these clouds of shrimp, crab, and mussel death coming across, which are just hordes of, like a big school of perms. You know, that's uh, what what are they doing there then? You know, like and and what and if they're they're eating as well, are they in a breeding formation or something like that, or is that sand not as clean as I think it is? uh so yeah i guess that goes back to what i was talking about in that when they're when those fish or from my observations they feed for a very small um there's a difference between feeding and eating flies so when i'm talking feeding that's on their natural natural uh food source the mussels mm -hmm. so in in my book they they feed at the turn of the tide at the low tide period and then the rest of the time they're sticking together, avoiding hammerheads, crocs, dolphins, whatever's going to try and eat them. Mm. Um, because, and you see them, they're, they're not there to eat. Um, they're doing daisy chains, they're doing circles, they're chasing their mate. You know, they're playing silly buggers, really. Yeah. Um, they will, I mean, if you put something in front of them, in front of 200 fish, one of them might get a get a reaction they certainly do bite yeah um, but they're not actively feeding so contrast that to the pilbara don't get mm. confused again chris no i'm so following pilbara. follow yep. yep where, pilbara <laughs> yep um spoken like a true east coaster but yep. you'll get you'll get you'll come across you know that's your traditional one-on-one -on -one, uh, i'm going to stalk my prey so you find your single fish feeding and then you present the fly and you will see that fish react to the fly, eat the fly because it's seeing it as a prey item and they're eating moon crabs, soldier crabs, swimmer crabs, um, mantis shrimp, you know, all that sort mm. of stuff out on the flats. Um, yeah, cool. Gotcha. Gotcha, gotcha, and, gotcha. And they've, and they've got empty, empty stomachs to prove it, whereas the fish um, in Broome, you know, have the, I've caught the muscle sausage, you know, permanent got the, the elongated stomach um, to be able to process the, the muscles um, or the shellfish, you know, that thing is, you could not fit another muscle in it. Yeah, well, okay. It's jam-packed, even to the point where it's outside, like the bit that leads into the stomach, you know, I'll not crash hot at biology, but I've got a rough idea. You know the bit that leads into that stomach, that digestive bit, is also uh, chocker full of permanent of um, the, muscles. The esophagus so, pre chamber, yeah, uh, yeah, they'll do bolsy, yeah, made... intestines, all that yeah. sort of stuff. Yep, it's very Sorry. fluvial. Yeah, mm, benthic even photosynthetic. Mm. Um, <laughs> yeah, there was actually a um, speaking of benthic strata. There was actually a, a community. Um, concert and one of the songs was called the Benthic Boogie, and um, 
you know, it ain't all crud. It's all about the mud. Benthic boogie. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> you know, one like, of Chris's favourite songs is the Blitzkrieg pop, you know, so. It's, that's, that might be true, Volts. It's, uh, well, hopefully they've um, recorded the Benthic boogie. I'd actually be honoured if you could find it and use it as the, um, you know, you play that little song at the end of each thing. Yeah. Yep. Yep. I'm on Spotify now. Benthic. Yeah, I don't know if it's hit Spotify, but um, might be on YouTube, maybe. See if we can find it. Yeah, yeah. Well, we'll do it. We'll do it while we're not recording a podcast. But uh, we can look at it later for sure. Yeah, eyes on the prize. Um, you know, and that's a great segue, Chris. Thank you for um one of the, the other things. The Kumite, the Tankara Kumite, the prize. What do they win? Well, not that prize, but yep. um, I was thinking more about you know going back to what I was saying. This. There's so many fish in the north, like there's so many spots that if I was to go out and target, let's say, permit, I'd drive past, you're driving past a dozen big queenies, you're driving past, oh, you know, schools and clouds of golden trevally. You know, you have to be that laser focused. Otherwise, you're going to spend all your time trashing your flies on little crappy fish and... Mm. Um, uh, there's nothing surer than you're fiddling with a little golden or a little GT or whatever and a permit swims past. Uh, uh. <laughs> um, or you're changing your fly. And um, we are talking earlier about fly durability and I think as I've fished more up here, I've more focused on having flies that will go the distance. I think the finer details... You know, I'm not into eyes on crab or shrimp flies anyway, but, you know, you need something that's going to hold up mm -hmm. so that you can keep having shots at whatever fish you want to catch. Um, <coughs> even when you're chasing bluebone, if you dangle your fly in the water, you get these little, um, what are they, uh, frogfish, they dart up out of these little holes and all of a sudden your fly is like going down a hole in the benthic strata. <laughs> um and you've got to you've got to try and pull it out and there's these disgusting little slimy sounds like fish. Um, sounds like the wire net um, cod on the east coast yeah yeah little cod you know all that sort of stuff so um it might sound a bit elitist but i'll sort of go back to you know fishing with Stu and greg you know we had a session had a few sessions where i said look we'll go to this spot your pig out on goldens, get it out of your system, and then we'll concentrate on the the other fish. So I think that's almost part of um, earning your stripes in the north. If you want to start catching those really cool fish and sussing them out, you need to spend the time on them and not get too distracted, which is easy to do. <laughs> well, the good thing is it sounds like it, it's worth spending the time on. There's, there's plenty of places, particularly around here, we're getting into fisheries politics that you just don't get the opportunity because they get taken, you know, but uh, mm. there's, there's one thing I was wanted to bring up before, because the show's getting away on us um, that uh, a surprising aspect of the broom fishery that you mentioned um, to me earlier today was the threadfin salmon. And you were saying, to, I, I mentioned to you that um, I'm surprised to hear about it being a prolific uh, threadfin fishery. Uh, whereas you talk about it being, you know, quite good. 
uh, you, you're telling us that that sort of bounced back because they used to they used to be netted pretty heavily, right? Yeah, yeah. So um, pretty cool. The um, the area they sing the Benthic boogie about Roebuck <laughs> Bay Broom sits right on the shores of the bay. Incredibly fertile area. You know the wader birds fly from the Arctic Circle each year to to feed on you know the multiple worms and whatever so it's a really fertile system but for many years the main sort of recreational species threadfin salmon just wouldn't be caught because um by all accounts they there was a couple of netting operations um back in the day and they were earning their living so not a great and the triple tail as well were, were impacted mm -hmm. uh Going back, let's say six, seven years, there was a buyback scheme enacted. Um, so the, the netting stopped in the bay and all of a sudden locals who hadn't seen a thready for, for years um, are catching them. So it's a bit of a thing now and we talk about the cycles. So the spring tide um, cycle each fortnight is generally when people will go thread fin fishing, um, reason being the shallow mud flats don't get enough water on them um, during the neaps. So that those big tides get right up into the mangroves and flush all that food, the prawns, the the fish, the crabs out. So the, the thread fin are naturally, you know, in the zone. Um, and yeah, a bit of a combo in the past year. This year was probably the best year I've had targeting them on fly probably a combination we had all those floodplains that i talked about earlier um emptying food um out into the bay through uh a lot of little channels uh they're known locally as the fingers um because they're just like a glorified snake gutter really um but yeah all the food coming out those channels thread fins sit at the mouths of them um and yeah but sort of came across it by accident because I knew that, you know, all the food, all the little grunter and archer fish and scat that had been growing up on the flats, they've got to come up on the floodplains, they've got to come out. Um, but I didn't really think about to what extent. And we also got a good prawn run as well. So, um, yeah, I mentioned my boys. So I've got um, two boys, eight and six. So I was out with my eldest and I've always been quite into them about, you know, keeping aware of your surroundings. Um, their their fish eyes are pretty good. Um, so, yeah, eldest boy said, oh, Dad, I think we should go up the creek. You know, there's a whole heap of birds up there. And I'm like, oh, no, you know, it's getting too low. I want to go. And he was quite insistent. And what we end up going up there and finding is, yeah, a whole bunch of threadies um, feeding on bait just along the edges of, of mud banks pretty much um and it turned it on for probably two months um site casting at threadies in let's say ankle deep water and the reason why i mentioned the young fella is that he was up on the bow for, for a fair amount of time and i was getting the dregs um down the back <laughs> but, but we there were so many fish there was just so much bait i think um and it really congregated the fish that he he'd had his He'd had his fill, so he said, look, go up the front, Dad, and catch him on fly. I said, okay. I didn't need to be asked twice. So, 
Very um, generous, Ryan. Yeah, I was using. Um, there's been a bit of interest on my Instagram, um, flying foam. If you want to check it out later, but um, I've <laughs> just been tying little uh, deer hair sliders, um, usually black, um, but yeah, anything will do. And because the fish are right up in the margins, popping prawns and what what have you, those flies are sort of perfect, soft landing, non-obtrusive um, fish. Just slurp them down really but certainly learnt a lot about catching thread fin on fly there's a lot of subtleties about presentation and angles and all sorts hmm. yeah very interesting mate yeah no it's, uh, i just i'm just on your page now having a look you like that um like a lot of natural colors don't you yeah yeah, yeah. um just the way i've rolled i mean i, I use a lot of black flies um which yeah. is probably especially up here um which is probably symptomatic of how murky the water is. Mm -hmm. um, but, yeah, black flies or something to provide a silhouette um, definitely makes makes a bit of a difference. And um, threat, watching threadies eat a fly is quite interesting as well. Um, the ones that come up behind it, and they'll sort of almost be um, whiskering it, <laughs> for, for want of a better term you know they're almost feeling it like it's right on their nose and th yeah that and they won't eat but the ones that if you can if there's a fish in the shallows and you can see him buffing prawns quite actively sort of getting the fly sort of not slapping it down but getting it to land in front of it and they're just sliding it sort of at 45 across its mouth and getting that side on eat is generally the way to go yeah yeah, they can be pretty selective, eh, threadies? You know, I know what you mean. You can sometimes feel it under, like if a your, your fly loses action, like it just feels weightless. Like it's, it's. Mm. I think it's fair to assume that, that that's threadies doing that when you can't, they're too deep to see. You know, like they, they seem to feel it, like you said, you know, like uh, lure guys talk about it as well, like the whole fly just gets no, uh, lure gets no action, you know, while they're like, um, yep. it's assumed that the threadies are just, like you said, they've got it, they're just feeling it with their, um, fins you know they're, they're they're whiskers on their fins i guess yeah they're thread fins funnily enough yeah, it, yeah. It's, it's interesting and i think um i use I, I really like deer hair or you know anything that will get the fly just sitting in the surface film because even for triple tail as well if you're fishing subsurface as soon as that fly sinks let's say five centimeters below the surface you can't see it anymore and triple tail and threadies, you really need to feed the fly. And if you can't see the fly and you can't see the fish because it's sunk down while your fly's sinking, then you've got no hope. Yeah, right, okay. You need to see the eat to, to set the hook, otherwise yeah. they'll be in and out with the heartbeat. Is what you're saying? Yeah. You need to feed them as well. You know, you need to – the little of twitches quite often. And, yep. and that, yeah, so, yeah, you, you do need to see the – ideally the eat – um, but certainly see that fish. Mm. Um, but the triple tail is another broom specialty. Um, uh, yeah, for, because with such big tides, a pearling industry, uh, we have um, a dozen of them in my shed at the moment. <laughs> but, uh, there's bl big black floats floating around everywhere. So um, you can imagine, and plus all the mangrove roots, etc. There's plenty for triple tail to to sit under, mm. um, and can have some yeah fantastic sessions on triples um, with surface flies, 
yeah, anything. Um, in the bays, pretty good. The border's a bit murkier. The really tricky ones are out in the ocean. Um, when you come across big eddies and there'll be four or five of these floats floating around, um, they're the trickiest triples. Are they, uh, are they more challenging when they've got their noses resting against something? You know, like they're almost touching? Um, oh, they're just... You know, they're just all challenging, I reckon, um, yeah. especially the big ones. Um, yeah, they, they're hyper-aware, so as soon as anything comes within the zone, they'll be onto it. And I think if you don't almost don't get a reaction bite, then you're not going to get a bite if you've got a triple that's um, following your fly. Just like a permit, I find. I like really like to get a reaction bite out of permit and land on their head and either spook them or they eat it. Same mm -hmm. for triples. Mm. Um, and that's why I think little gurglers and little surface flies are so good because you slap it down, land on their head and they just come and eat it or nick off. Mm. <laughs> yeah, pretty cool. I mean, who doesn't like a triple tail? That's for sure. Very, very cool fish. Well, that's right. It's better than one. Yeah. <laughs> 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 and the, and the, um and the these uh, muscle beds they get swept away in the so, no I'm only kidding mate um um <laughs> re reference back to uh anyway um look um yeah. Yeah, look the whole area sounds pretty cool mate uh, like um I wonder like 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 Volti said he's been there I've been there too I've also been um around the Kununurra and those sort of areas as well and I found that from all the places I've been in Australia some of the crockiest places ever you know um. Around the Ord and all that sort of area, you know. Um, it, what, have you got any any? Uh, I imagine most of your stories would come from some of those lagoons at the back, right? If you got yeah. any, yeah. Uh, I've had some croc encounters. Nothing too too scary. Probably um, those lagoons out the back. Yeah, that's like crocodile D dance. The, the the crocodile Dundee stuff. You know where he bends down the water in that little. That back eddy, and I think it grabs his water bottle or something. Oh, that, um, was, that was his Sheila. Was this, oh, yeah. yeah. Sorry. You, did you think you were perving on Mick Dundee's butt? <laughs> In the one piece. Yeah. <laughs> Linda uh, Kozlowski, not, that's who it was. Yeah. Yeah. yeah he had a, had a Dundee banger. Yeah. Yeah, who glory <laughs> is, too. Um, <laughs> she got pretty haggard pretty quick. Yeah, unfortunately. But, um, well, so did he. Yeah, it looks like, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Pretty worry. Um, not really, but you just, you're always on your guard and you'll go somewhere or you see it and you you think there's nothing, no, oh, yeah, so we were fishing that low tide. Oh, no, not low tide, the deoxygenated billabong I was telling you about for the barra and, you know, yep. the water's so shallow, Um, it's, Starting to think, oh yeah, there's nothing around. We're walking the banks, plugging bar on fly. It's all, you know, all happy days. And then, and we're like, oh no, plenty of freshies chewing um, barra. But we thought, well, if there's a big croc here, um, we're going to see some evidence of it. And so, so let we me just, back, let me just pull you up for those people listening to the story, like they're, if they're listening from overseas or whatever. Freshwater crocodiles is what you're talking about when you're talking about freshies, right? They're um, they're not, they're not as um, they're not as uh, 
aggressive towards humans. They're not as big. It's the saltwater crocodiles. When you're when you're in freshwater, they're just as you know prolific as they are in uh, probably more prolific than they are in the saltwater, which would be really surprised to people here even now. Um, but you're just setting the scene. So, so people, people have heard you're in a freshwater lagoon, and you're yep. talking about big crocs. You're talking about saltwater crocs. Correct. Yeah, big crocs, big saltwater crocs. Because I think that you learn a few things in the Kimberley. One is that anything over knee deep water would have a big saltwater croc in it, no matter whether it's freshwater, saltwater, whatever. Yeah, like a, um, a gutter on the side of the road, even. Uh, if you can't see the bottom, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Yep. 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 Uh, so no matter where I am, and especially having the kid, always being crockwise um, and just being extra cautious. But, yeah, basically, you know, as you do, you go to a spot and you get all excited about it. A week later, doing a bit of Googling and, you know, up comes a vid of a couple of blokes who've been out there after we had. There's a video of like the three and a half metre croc. I thought, oh, yeah, that's interesting. And then in the paper the next week, there's a three and a half metre croc that the local rangers have caught because it's been knocking off dogs for the last two years. And oh, like, oh yeah, that, I reckon recognise that bank there. Oh, yeah, that tree. <laughs> yeah. yeah. And you just, you know, all you hear about crocs is that they stalk their prey. And so, yeah, it's a bit, bit spooky, but. Yeah, yeah. I think quite regularly. I think basically, as long as if, if if you're presenting a pattern, they'll pick up on it mm. and they'll catch out. Yeah, yeah, I think so. But then I wonder, well, if it's me or if the cow's been presenting the pattern, and I walk yeah. down where the cow's been walking down. Yep. You know. Yep. Is That's it going to be selective? Um, yeah. But yeah, you certainly, even with sharks, well. Yeah, sharks and rays, you get a bit uh, complacent, really. But it's all its all about, you know, having good fish eyes. I was down the beach here with the young fellas and um, this big hammerhead came in chasing stingrays, as they do. And I won't say what beach because I don't want to ruin the tourism industry, but um, it's the middle of the day, people everywhere, and the kids are just going, whoa, check that out, and there's, you know, um, a stingray skipping along the surface like a like a guardian. There's this big, big fin behind it, and God. kids are just you know their eyes are popping. Be awesome out to this, see this thing smacked a couple of stingrays and then chased a school mullet. Um, and then we've looked around. Everyone's just you know driving along the beach, sunbaking nude, you know, doing all the stuff they like to do. Um, and we've just seen this amazing <laughs> creature. Um, so you just got to have your wits about you quite often. I mean, I wasn't scared. It came up behind me at one point, which is how I found out about it. But, um, yeah, they, they tend to sneak up on you. Yeah, I think hitting now on the head, as long as you can – well, I can't remember how you worded it, but it was along the lines of long, you know, being aware and being able to see um, are, are the two big things. There's definitely is a pretty big trend. I, I wonder what your opinion is of it, like in, in recent years – uh, I see people that might be arguably new to tropical saltwater fishing spending a lot of time in the water for photos. You know? Mm. What do you um, think of that? Personally, I think that, well, I mean, fish photos, and I've taken a fair few, 
fish photos in my time is fish photos need to be done quickly anyway. Mm. Probably good they're spending time in the water, but if you're not experienced and you don't have the smarts, then yeah, and you need deep water, it's probably not a great idea if you if you're safe up on the edge and you know there's someone looking around. But oh, I think that's it's yeah. just about knowing if you're a new angler to the north or even experienced anglers. I think it's about knowing your limitations. Yeah, the, um, the best. anyway. Yeah. Yeah, oh, I was going to say the next permit I see with yellow markings all over its body because it's been held for too long for yeah. fifty thousand photos and then released. I'll I'll shed you know another tear like the palms are at the moment, but <laughs> um, you know it's just about being a bit smart. And the other thing is being a hotter environment. Um, like we've had, I've caught big GTs and especially in summer, like at the heated summer just don't don't do it anymore because they just don't release well queenies don't release well goldies either in yeah in hot water and you know so there's a whole bunch of things to think about you know yeah. that keep them keep them wet hashtag yeah um, uh, we're definitely about that I, I i guess i was probably more about the uh the angler safety i suppose you could say you know yeah. like you know yep. putting keeping them in the water on the edge on the edge of the bank where you've got a way out i, I mean I, I don't know i just i don't i'm not trying to have a go at anyone it just concerns me either eh, like um that someone will get hurt i guess you could say when you see you know you'll see people who live in the areas and lived in lived in the areas for a long time they won't do it you know but then you know i guess it's um globally like you see it a lot you know like uh people people in the water hold the fish and you're right it is it is great some areas you're not let some parts of the world you're not allowed to pull a fish out of the water you know so it, it is your option you know um yeah, but you know when they're when they're fish that you know potentially it doesn't really matter. I just I just think I look. I'm not even going to talk about areas because I don't I don't I don't want to come across like I'm out in anyone. I just I just don't see it get discussed. I see it get glanced over, and I just wondered you know for someone who lives in in these areas where it could be potentially dangerous to to wade, um, whether mm -hmm. it be you know uh, large predators or even stingers, you know. Um, yeah, yeah. Just wanted to get get your thoughts on it. You know, I've, I've yeah. heard other people talk about it, and um, and I I guess if if there's one thing to take away from it, it would be just uh, a mindfulness for those that are potentially put in that position. I guess you could say, rather than just like a uh, uh, um no mindfulness of anything that could happen. Let's put it that way. Yeah, correct. I guess in summary, Chris, it's about being safe, knowing your limitations, and being crockwise. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah. No, exactly, mate. I mean, we've had some guys on the on the podcast of like, incredible experience that have been caught out like that. I mean, how was it, Volts, when we had fish on the podcast talking about how he jumped out of the boat onto a croc? Onto right? a croc. You yeah. Know, lived up there, operated businesses for so long, and just, you know, how does it happen? Yeah. How's that with someone who's, like, so vigilant what? about it? Like, it'll, it'll still happen, you know? Well, I know personally um, that sometimes I've caught myself getting complacent. Yep. And I think uh, about all sorts of things up here, whether it's box jellyfish or driving on the beach or whatever, is because we do it every day. If you're not on the top of your game, you'll get complacent at, at some stage. And not saying that's what happened in Fisher's circumstance, but it is easy to get complacent. And I think most of the people taking risks are generally locals. Mm. Yeah. 
Yeah, well, they only need the lesson to happen once, I suppose, or know of it. But, um, yeah, you know, yeah. yeah. It's a shame to hear of anyone who gets taken, that's for sure. And I'm, I'm sure that not one of them have gone, you know, this this could possibly happen and then still put themselves in that position. It'd be more along the case of complacency, like you said, or, or unawareness. I, I've done it. That's I've, it. No, I, look, I, don't, I don't want to be the first. And I'm sorry you've done it, Boltsy. I'm glad you're here with us, actually. <laughs> I'm not, you know, I was just think, reflecting on, on you know, fish there and didn't mean to talk about it. It's more of a point of, um, you know, it's, um, in my case, once we, we saw, we were fishing off the bank, water was clear, and I could see this school of, I uh, wasn't sure if they were big diamond scales or mullet uh, or permit sort of, Swimming in daisy chain, like on the bottom, and they're a fair way out, right on the limit of my um, my vision, which isn't very much because I'm built low to the ground. So mm. I sort of went knee deep, you know. I thought I was pretty confident I could see everything around. Went a bit further, a bit further. Before I know it, I'm waist deep. I'm trying to get so that's it. six inches, <laughs> and um, <laughs> and and then it just hit me. I was like, "What the fuck am I doing? This is stupid," you know. Like something come at me. I have no chance of getting away. I have no chance seeing it coming, you know. Um, yeah, so, it, it, and even though I was thinking about it, it yeah, it just sometimes it just takes a moment of being absent-minded or focused on something else. Um, yeah. Yeah, so. Yeah, yeah, it was, I, I was up with Vokla. Um, we were up in Cape York, just self-guided trip, and we, we thought the same thing, just like it was the morning, the sun's behind you, and, um uh yeah it was a similar sort of thing and, and i was about to wait out we saw like we were, we were confident they were, they were permit you know it's about to wait it was just beyond my car so it was a good 30 feet away you know and um um and, he, and i was about to step in the water and andy's just gone don't step in the water eh? for no reason that just whatever no reason there's no reason good enough to step in the water here at the moment you know at all mm. you couldn't see the water was gin clear if you're looking back at the beach it was clear as but looking into the water was um it was gl- very very glary at that time of day um you know, I found it interesting, Chris, that you you mentioned just then you're on a self guided trip. Yeah, um, that you felt the need to um, to call that out, not that you just went fishing. Well, well, I went. Well, it was it was self guided because it was not my local area, and um, and uh, we hired boats, hired a boat to go fishing. I guess mm. you could say, and I and I know that um, the area is prolific with guides, so I guess it's just sort of rolling it all into one i suppose i i hear what you're saying there um and i guess i could have just said we went fishing but uh, it'd be weird to say i just went fishing in weeper and you know, when i live on the sunshine coast i thought you know yes no fair enough i think yeah. the the point i was hoping you'd segue into and just roll with it a little <laughs> bit more was that um i think because there's so many new anglers sometimes i i get the feeling that um, particularly around saltwater fishing, that anglers are attracted to saltwater fishing, uh, saltwater fly fishing, mm. and they may not have had any fishing experience mm. before. Um, and there's a natural uh, gravitation towards guided fishing, and potentially some of the the different media and oh, I see where you're going. Promotion yep. is around. Yep, um, you with me now? Good. Yeah, I'm, I am, um, mate. Yep. Yeah, is around guided fishing, but. I think the the thing for anglers to succeed in the Northwest, uh, you don't have any of those luxuries. Um, mm. You know, if you want to call it DIY or self-guided or 
whatever. For, for us, it's just fishing because there's no other options. Um, oh, for so sure. It's um, it's quite an interesting environment like that. It sometimes it's not so relaxing, you know, for Bill trolling it, towing his boat up from, you know, Tassie. If he if he doesn't want to push the limits, he might catch a few fish. But if you uh, if you work out how to navigate at low tide and you're comfortable with shallow water, you can find your fish, you know how to moor a boat and camp on an island. Um, you know, you need to have a sort of more of a all-round skill set, mm. um, I think, to, to do really well. And that's probably anywhere, but to see the best of it um, by crikeys, you, you wouldn't get to these places if you don't have a, not really a sense of adventure, but you just got to have your wits about you and be prepared to 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 go a little bit further and mm. you know put your body on the line i think one bloke i reckon we had he had mild anaphylactic shock <laughs> being bitten by um mozzies and sand flies one camping trip. Fair um, <laughs> but um that was also the, the dry age beef trip so it was quite oh, yeah. a, <laughs> quite, a, quite a trip but um but but then by doing that you know he had half a day lying on on the deck and I was going, oh, there's a GT there, or there's a blue bone there. I think we caught a cobra on the flats that trip, which was pretty cool. But, um, you know, if you put yourself out there and put your body on the line. <laughs> I, th- I think that's the, pretty the, separation, the separation between codes, you know, like within, within fly fishing in Australia. Like, I know, I know I'd feel more comfortable, like, and I'm just going to work, like, just going fishing, um, going north, than I would south. I, I would, you know, I don't think that I could go and fish Tasmanian lakes um, to just go fishing or, you know, DIY or self-guided. You know, I, I would have no fucking idea what I'm doing at all, you know. It's, um, mm. But, like, you know, to go to to go to go Cape York, I've done it a couple times, you know, like to go up there DIY or to just go fishing, and it's 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 not a problem at, at all. Um, but it's, you know, although the fishing is heaps better, you know, it's, it's still the marine environment that I've grown up with. You know, I know, you know, obviously there's no crocs where I live, but, um, mm. you know, it's it's not hard to be crockwise either, you know, as long as you're mindful of it, I, I'd imagine. You know, you're not doing anything stupid. You research it and look at it and you know, same with the jellies, you know, like the idea of an irukandji scares the shit out of me. Like I would never put myself in a position like at those times of years when they're around to be in the water. You know, like that's just... That just seems like an instant death sentence right there, you know, for something the size of a 10-cent piece. Crazy. Yeah, and I think that's about knowing your limitations because mm. in a way, if you're fly fishing, so let's say, for instance, um, in broom, wet season, crabs floating down the tide, you've got permit rising. Well, crabs and permit aren't the only thing floating down on the tide and there's nothing better for picking up a jellyfish tentacle than a fly line um so yeah i guess it's your level of comfort with risk and whether that two liter bottle of vinegar on the boat and knowing where the hospital is is enough <laughs> to yeah, make you make you comfortable i guess i always make sure someone's got a full b- bladder you know when when jellyfish season's around what someone's <laughs> always got to have a full bladder fish. that's catfish stings i think <laughs> <laughs> I don't think the I don't think the St John's first aid course actually endorses urinating on your best mate. The gold shower, yeah. Well, you know, like it's uh, it's yeah, interesting. 
they've they've tried and disproven it in Broome. Is that correct, Mark? Uh, yes, yeah. absolutely. Many big, times. Big German community in Broome? <laughs> um, <laughs> sometimes it, well, yeah, you see some sights. Yeah, okay. Just leave it at that. <laughs> a lot of backpackers. Which would, which would suggest, yeah. Dude. But then again, backpackers generally aren't the most respectful to the rest of the community. So No. no. They're, they're generally not too welcomed unless they're working and holding up the economy. But they're what what you're going to want on the beach in jellyfish season, right? Yeah, it would be good if they hung around a bit longer. Yeah, gotcha. <laughs> so, with with the uh, with the cultural diversity of Broome in, in question, is there um, is there uh, potential for a, a barra fishing tournament up there called the um, the Broome Barra Bukaki? Is that something? That oh. could... <laughs> Look, Faltsy, what? So given, aggressive. Given that you haven't really added much for this as far as questions, I'm happy to entertain like your excitement of this idea. And yeah, fantastic idea. I'm sure it will really work and take off. Probably finding the barra. There's some cool, cool comps up here. They have the thread fin shootout. Mm-hmm. Um, which, just which, before, is, hey Mark, which is great. Yes. Just, just before we move on, don't you think with Volty's idea, Volty could be the face of that comp? <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if you'd want Volty as the face, maybe the pelt of the <laughs> <laughs> Definitely yeah. would make less mess, like for the for the cleanup of the comp, that's for sure. But uh yeah. So. Um yeah, there's a sailfish comp. I think um it was maybe one of the first places I don't know, so the story goes that Billfish on Fly, the whole that sort of thing started to start to happen back in the day. Yep. With uh-huh. um, the sailfish tournament and, you know, there's lots of different stories about how that all came about. Um, that's a little goal of mine is to get a free swimmer on fly. Um, had a few shots, but... Um, free swimmer sail, yep. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Around um, the Pilbara, right? Like, I mean, uh, sorry, um, uh, Port Hedland. That, that's that's a possibility there too, right? Seen them, yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Um, Port Edland's not so much known as a sailfish spot, but Dampier's got a really good sailfish fishery. Okay, yeah. I think the thing for um, free swimmers is you need them up on the surface, usually feeding on bait. There's this funny thing in Broome where they get a run of um, puffer fish mm. um, and through the winter, and the, the local story goes that, like the amount of free swimmers and fish on the surface increases exponentially when you get a good run of these toad fish because mm. um, they they reckon the fish get whacked out on them. Yeah, I was going to say that. Yeah, yeah, they just I don't know go a bit odd, um, but it's real. It's interesting. I mean, you find them in the guts of cobia, tuna, different things. Um, mm. Actually, Chris, I was I was thinking of you the other day because I remembered that a long tail I caught had. 15 moon crabs in its stomach. Really? Yep. Interesting. So, yeah. Um, you're welcome. But, um, <laughs> yeah, you don't generally see moon crabs floating or swimming, but they must get out with the currents somewhat, somehow. Yeah. Yep. It, it, yeah, you're right. I mean, it's not it's – not un, it's not unheard of to see them swimming and stuff like that, but, um, but like you said, it's not usual – I was only thinking of this the other day. Like, Volte, you'll know, like, out the front of Broby where those crab pots are. Like, you know, people will catch um, 
people catch long tail with just guts full of um full of prawns you know in that same area you know and um i've seen three spot crabs up on the surface and you know you, you can never tell when there's long tails around when there's just one big single crash like what what they've done you know but uh you can't help but wonder it made me it's funny as you say it i was only thinking the other day that i reckon you know just 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 drift like if there's long tails just popping up everywhere just to float a larger crab around would i wonder what would happen interesting well, how you, big would you how big never would know the, and certainly even when they're working like the tide lines and you see them sipping mm. um i think uh oh, look, the main crabs that come out here are swimmer crabs on the surface um blue blue uh, swimmers yeah no nah, no nah, just oh, i call swimmer crabs anything that's swimming but yeah okay. like, <laughs> um you know just like that sh the same shape as a blue swimmer yeah um but they're all sandy colored okay you know, people might call them a sand crab um but they're that yeah they're actually swimming whereas a moon crab is more of a burrowing carnivorous crab yeah you don't see them swimming much where you are i got this no I, I see them i've seen them before like and i've actually poked my rod tip at them and they've just swum around it you know like just like a boss you know it's uh well, I've, I, yeah they can they can swim but i don't yeah. see them swimming I, I can't see them doing miles and miles but um um yeah yeah it's 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 not on like well in harvey bay for example it's not ridiculous to see one swimming you know like it's not like you'll see one every day you know but uh you know just mm. just if you're if you're out there a couple of, like a few times a month you know you, you wouldn't be unusual to see one uh one time in a month or something like that you know what i mean mm. yeah a, and i think um you know it's very small um you know samples that we're talking about i guess but yeah you know from a from a typical session when you're out there during a during a big outgoing tide and the crabs are coming down mm. you might see one one moon crab and a couple of hundred swimmer crabs like that's how rare it is yeah okay cool up, up yeah. here um so but yeah that's another cool thing watching permit you know sipping sipping crabs like trout it's pretty cool and you know, you lead a fish with a with a dry fly and possibly a ten cut another ten car option. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, it's pretty cool. And then you know, when your permit turns into a golden, it's like, oh, you're trying to rip the fly out of its face, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. which is good. Good the, fun. The um the fishery that 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 um was on heads and tails with Jeff uh, <laughs> chucking out the surface fishing for the permit. That's not something you like when I mean, you can't get around that jet anymore, right? It's um closed off. Uh, like the the access to it, they can't get as close as they do in the video, right? Uh yeah, you're not meant to. Um, but certainly oh, okay. now that we've started looking, um, in different areas and at different times, and starting to sort of put together the crab hatch and when it happens, and like it seems to be triggered by rain and. <laughs> you see them all up the creek and then that all happens and yeah it's i mean the jetty's a focal point because i think it holds the fish but the fish certainly spread out like far like we don't really do the dread, dead drift along the pylons anymore you're finding fish out out in the open oh okay um, cool around the moorings which is yeah super cool yeah I guess you'd, you, if you had electronics, you'd probably see them, which Jeff wouldn't have had then, back then, like the side images and stuff like that, you would see them, right? You'd know you're in the area at least. Oh, I'm sure you would. Jeff had 
Um, I think Jeff had electronics on his little punt when when he first invited me up. He had this um, speaker and his sound system, and that was the year that um, Beyonce um, released. You should have put a ring on it, mm. and that was <laughs> on repeat every hour. So for a, God. oh man. He makes it hard to know him, eh, sometimes, you know? Well, I don't think it was Jeff's fault. It's just one of those <laughs> amazing um, memories that sticks in my mind. Um, well, and I think I think Simon, because I know you guys are heads and tails, groupies. You know, Simon oh, is my hawk. Love him, um, yep. You know, they were, just, they were just the glory days, really. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> do, you feel like, do you feel like either of those guys are still living off that glory? Be honest, mate. Um, not really. They're pretty. Um, <laughs> well, I'd talk more about Jeff. Jeff's very, very humble and just happy doing his thing, and he's yeah. in- incredibly um, switched on. And we talk about people who see things different way, and then just go and make a make a winner out of it. He's mm. one of those guys. Yeah, you know, he's not one I to follow the crowd. Yeah. Um, yeah, I caught up with. You know, Simon's definitely living his best life, but, you know, he's out up on Christmas Island. I've caught, caught up with him at Pocus as well. Um, he's sort of our unofficial guide because he's been getting across to Cocos every, you know, few weeks. Hmm. Uh, well, not a few weeks, but every few months. Um, but, yeah, no, he's he's very humble. Yeah, very I was joking. Of humor. Yeah. I know you were. <laughs> I'm, I'm not. Um, <laughs> but yeah, he, he's still doing well. I don't think he caught a permit on that trip, so you know maybe he needs to get back to Broome to get into the groove of things. Yeah, but, um, is it is it know, true that? My, my, sorry, I was going to say when Jeff and Simon went, is it true that they had matching shirts like um, uh, I'm Simon from Heads and Tails, and the other one had I'm Jeff from Heads and Tails? But uh, I just heard a rumor. Someone saw him at the um, airport on Cocos wearing that? Um, possibly. I think there might be a couple of beast brushes signs uh, <laughs> or stickers put in strategic places <laughs> yeah, around Cocos Island. I've seen some photos. It's, uh, and yeah, I don't I condone vandalism. Yeah. No, neither do I. But it's one of those signs where people, you know, people put lots of stickers um, about yeah. different things. Um, yeah, look, I had a mate. You know, I I got a good photo of him. I put him on a cover, or the photo was on the cover of a magazine. And yeah, I used to introduce him of odd, oh, you know, old mate. Um, he's on the cover of his magazine, and yeah, people just never really warmed to it. But it was in the days before social media. So yeah, that yeah. story. I'm not quite sure about the matching shirts, whether or not. Yeah, I mean, you hear, it, you know, it seems, seems a bit made up to me. Nah, well, it seems plausible because you hear dudes like, I know this guy is like, get out Andy from the forum, you know, and things like that. Yeah. And, um, you know, people, people do like to attach their identity to certain, you know, media outlets, you know, it's, um, it's a popular thing. Definitely but, do. Yeah. yeah I, I used to know a guy and people would recognize him and go, oh, you're so-and-so. And he had a little catch name and yeah, they used to stop him in the shops and stuff. And yeah, right. Quite amazing just off a fishing forum. Who was that? Oh, just just old mate. But um, did you <laughs> want to talk about GTs, Chris? <laughs> uh, yeah, mate. I, like, uh, do you have a preferred gin or? Uh, well, there's a local gin up here, um, Moontide, 
yep. you know, um, going along the, you know, Matso's ginger beer and then there's stairway the moon, the moon. gin. Yep. There is actually, there's also a reverse stairway. Have you ever heard of that? No, no. Is that, it's is that where, where Zeppelin um, played backwards? No. Yeah, Sorry. real quick. And they yep. sung backwards too. It's got a different name, but no, <laughs> it's where you get the, um, get the stairway of the moon with the moon going down rather than up. Oh, okay. Yeah, right. Mm. Special. Yeah. There you go. Yep. You heard it here first. Um, <laughs> Tell us about these. Sorry, Volty. Is that a locals only phenomenon? Um, oh, I'm sure you'd be able to see it through your eyes. Um, but yeah, mostly only locals know about it. Yeah. Is it is it synonymous with the with the puffer fish hatch by any chance? Yeah. They're really spiky puffer fish. They're like those box fish with the little spikes. And sometimes you'll clean a fish and it's just got a stomach full of spikes. Yeah. It's sort of like that one out of um, uh, one of the Nemo movies. Um, It might have been, no, it wasn't shark bait, hoo-ha-ha. It was one of the other ones that got in that aquarium in the dentists. Um, I can't remember their names. These two have got kids. Yeah, Yeah. the one I'm talking about. He's a bit spiky and... Bit of a one that freaks head. out and just puffs up. Yeah, yeah, yeah. goggly yep. eyes. Yeah. Yep. So if any of the um, listeners are wondering what we're talking about, then that's a good point of reference. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, GTs, you know, um, Pilbara is pretty well known for its GT on lures um, fishery, but there's some pretty cool stuff for fly fishermen. Um, different times of year, the, the turtle hatchlings, Hatch, another hatch. So we'll talk about hatches and fly fishing. Yeah. Um, so the, yeah. And then there's times where GTs come in and they're like in a big pack and there's like a big, whether it's a big female or a big male or something in the middle. Um, but yeah, amazing fly fishing. Um, yeah, clear water. You know, we, you talk about creatures of habit. You know, if you work out what time they come through on each tide or what water level and you sit there, they'll come through <laughs> consistently. Um, but, yeah, great, great yeah. fishing. Yeah. Um, this, and, this, and, and have you spent a bit of time on them? Um, you talk about being a, a lure fishery. Have you spent time on them on, on fly around that area? Yeah, well, I guess on lures, most of that's fishing sort of, yeah, traditional deeper water. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I spent a lot of time on them on fly. I think it was a bit of a natural progression. I started out with permit and, um, you know, caught a bunch of bastards and then you sort of progressed to blue bone and then back to permit. But GTs were always at the, the top, um, because you don't see many of them. You don't catch many of them necessarily. And they're, they're big. Um, you know, for one point, I just wanted something that was big on the flat. So I think I was had a, t- had a tarp and hangover. I just wanted something big in shallow water, and it was GTs. So, mm. um, yeah, a lot of it was boat-based boat in sort of metre of water sort of thing. But um, I don't know. When I've talked numbers with guys who have fished the Seychelles and stuff, I say, oh, yeah, that's sort of similar numbers to what we'd see in catch in a day. So, you know, there's there's opportunities, that's for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Pretty exciting, man. It's, 
the, yeah, the, just, the, the place is a mecca. Like that, that part of the world is is an absolute mecca. It really is. You know, it's a, uh, it's probably um, it it could be a bit more user friendly with some of the size of the tides and the Kimberley, but you know, I mean, it's probably what what's going to keep it as untouched as it is for a very long time as well. At the same time, just the ruggedness of the of the area, the tides, the the the, the on land environment, you know, all that sort of carry on. Pretty cool. Yeah, it's, it's pretty nice to think that that's going to be like that for a long time. Super cool, but it's interesting that even with it being that rugged, just a little bit of pressure, you can really see the difference in the fish. Um, I think, you know, we talk about creatures of habit. I don't think in small little flat scenarios there's that many fish. I think if you fish the same spot in two days, you're probably fishing the same fish. Um, yeah. And you can see the see the behaviour really change. There's one pretty well-known spot at Dampier and I watched a bloke stand in the same spot for four days and it's a permit on stingray sort of scenario and we went over there for a look because we're giving him in space at the end of those four days you couldn't even get within 50 meters of a stingray <laughs> you know yeah. they would hear the boat they'd hear the plop of the fly um you know that whole Four four days is pretty pretty crazy, but there's other examples of you know bastard spots or blue bone spots that. Um, so I guess these fish really haven't been pressured in any way. So you're sort of seeing the start of start of the effects of man. <laughs> yeah, in some yeah. ways. Mm. Yeah, although there's you know it's got a, a long fishing history. It just sounds like there's such a good rotation of fish and such a lot of areas to to fish. That um, mm. you know, you prob- the chances of, of seeing a fish that's never seen uh, a fly or a lure is pretty high in those those parts. Yeah, of the world. I reckon I wouldn't say there's a rotation of fish, but there's certainly plenty of spots um, to to go to because you'll yeah, start okay. to rec- recognise the fish, like the queenie with a white scratch on its back that lives at a certain rock. See him all the time, you know. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. You gotcha. Yeah. So he gets to know him and turtles and. You know, if you go to a spot like that, yeah, that permit spot, there used to be a turtle that lived there that got a bit, bit friendly at the end. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Friendly? What do you a, mean, friendly? Oh, I used to be able to tickle it and stuff. Um, give it wow. a scratch on the back. Um, it just became comfortable. Knew you weren't, weren't danger. Mm. Um, but a lot of the animals up here seem to be like that. Um, mm. I guess we've got cane toads coming, so... That's, yeah, that'll be the the change in that. But goannas and stuff. As soon as they know, and birds. As soon as they know you're not a threat, you just part of the scenery, really. Mm, mm. Pretty wild place. It'd be, um, yeah, yeah. I can imagine they get used to humans. Well, yeah, realizing they're not a threat and being comfortable with it pretty quickly. Mm. Mm. A lot, of, a lot of competition there. Lot, yeah, that's. Um, I'd encourage anyone to if they got the opportunity to go visit the Kimberley anywhere in the Kimberley, really. Broome's a good place to sort of um, base from, for sure. Um, yeah, it's, it's an incredible place. I'd, lo- I'd love to live there. I reckon you're really lucky, man. Oh, absolutely. absolutely. Um, mm. Super lucky. Um, yeah, amazing weather at the moment as well. So, um, yeah, it's been a pretty cold and funky old year so far, but when it goes windless and, you know, everything's on, 
and the town's got a bit of a buzz about it. You know, they're such small towns, probably like Harvey Bay and other places and Weeper, no doubt. Everyone's got their boats trailed up and, you know, they're starting to get whispers of this and that going on. You know, mm. it's hard to escape escape the fishing buzz, um, which I absolutely love. Yeah. Um, no, that's, fantastic. That's, that's awesome, mate. Hey, look, Mark. We, I, I reckon this is the longest podcast, longest interview we've done, right? I think we're going to have to, um, we're going to have to curb this. We might have to, um, get you back on for a more specific subject next time instead of trying to cover this huge or well, two huge areas, really. Um, I guess we're being a bit greedy in that respect. Uh, but for now, man, we might have to put a ribbon on this, unfortunately. That's fine. Um, yeah, I've probably um, prattled along a bit. That's a great summary, Chris. Um, you, you're getting you're getting better all the time. I appreciate it, I, and it's just nice to be recognised, Mark. And and it's very kind of you to say. I really appreciate it, mate. Thank you. That's all right. Well, I'm not going to save it for your um, eulogy, mate. I I think it's better to to give it to you now. It's much better to to enjoy that person now. You're right than than when they're gone for sure. Um, so That's in right. summary. Um, we've established that I'm a, I'm a great guy and the, and the show went well. Um, and Vaults, you know, you're the face of the new broom comp, mate. And, um, so we've got, we've got a lot in, we've got a little lot in tonight, but we still got a lot to cover. That's for sure. We've got a lot to cover. I'm going to put dibs on talking Tuskies next time we catch up, mate. Good idea. Yeah. We, get, we yeah. can talk blue, like the, the, um, the, the, yeah, the, the West Oz version and you guys can talk about that stuff. I could probably even have the night off, really, with that one. But um, next time for sure. Well, I guess Voltsy's had the night off tonight, so he probably owes you one, Chris. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he, he performed really well in the intro, mate. He's, uh, you know, he might have strained something. I don't know. It's hard to say. Yeah, he's, I'm, I'm I know still, he stretches. I'm still waiting for his probing questions, but it, I, I've enjoyed it. Um, I, I hope um, people might might get something out of it and. Um, keep listening to your podcast if there's anything to take away from it mate it's an amazing area and i, I really appreciate you coming on to, to share um what you what you know about it. it's good to get it from um um someone you know who's a local there who fishes it proficiently and um and is not a guide no worries mate do you want me to throw <laughs> the benthic boogie now mate <laughs> well when we get when we get off the air mate i'll tell you what get, we'll, we'll have a bit of a search for it and we'll just make sure we've got the right one and if we if we can find it We'll let people hear it on the on the outro. <laughs> I'm I'm happy to sing it if you like. If if yeah, you could if you hum it, uh, I guarantee it will keep recording. Yeah, we can run it through Shazam. Yeah. All right. Well, ready? A one, a two, a one, two, three. Go, Mark. Ready? Go. Yeah. Oh mate, I'm I, I gotta apologize. I that was an accident, right? I didn't mean it. Like Mark has got a voice of an angel. He really has. Like, he, he's he, heard he, of the generation. I, I, I didn't even realise I cut him off until ten minutes into his song. Like the Benthic Strata Boogie. The Benthic Boogie I should say. What a <laughs> tune. It's it, it's like eleven minutes and fifty two seconds long, but 
it feels like 37 minutes, man. It's a great song, you know? <laughs> and the way Mark sings it, it's just, it's incredible. Like the, the sense of rhythm that man's got is not to be underestimated. So Mark, I want to say thanks for coming on and I apologize to you and the listeners from all the staff and, uh, and, and hosts and co-hosts and sound engineers and grips and, and what have you that work here at the Intermediate Line in B Studios. Our greatest and most sincere apologies, mate. <laughs> yeah, yeah I, and I and I appreciate you backing me up with that, Volts. And um, you know, yeah. I know that uh, I know deep down, you might have you know shed a tear. It's just been how moved you were at Mark's rendition of the Benthic Boogie, right? I was, mate. I was. I uh, had to fight, fight back tears. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. It was, <clears throat> it was deep. It reaches into your soul. <laughs> His voice is haunting. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah absolutely, mate. Absolutely. Hey, uh, do you think there's any legs to that that tournament you're um, you're proposing, mate? I'm, I'm sure the Kumite of um, of Tenkara is not going to have any legs. But what did you call it? The the Barra Comp. What did you call it, mate? Oh, the Broom Barra Challenge. Not what you said. Oh, I don't remember, man. You know my memory's like short term is a shot these days. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> You'll have to go back and listen to it. Yeah. yeah, right. Okay. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, look, uh, a lot came from the show, mate. There's a lot to talk about, a lot of different directions, tangents, black belts of, of uh, black belt with red tips of, uh, of tangents, all three of us, really, at the end of the day. But um, it's hard to cover that area, man. We I mean, talked to someone like Mark, and he's got a lot to tell, talk about, experienced a lot there. And we covered. You know, ten percent. Can we quantify it as a, as a, as a hundred percent? Like, what what would we know a hundred percent to be? Do you think? I don't know, mate. But I tell you what, we didn't we didn't touch everything I wanted to touch. It was um, you know, we but we did dive deep on a few of the 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 things we did touch. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah no, I I agree, man. Uh, look, I I guess what I wanted to get out of the um out of the podcast was a, a realistic summary I, i'm a, i'm quite the fan of summaries and um and i just wanted to get a realistic sort of overview slash summary of mm. the area from someone of a of, of high level of experience like uh like songbird <laughs> yeah he he did um he did give a concise uh breakdown of of what was what was presented and mm. um yeah, it was pretty good. Mm, mm. Yeah. That was so friggin' lovely, mate. How are you going with school holidays, mate? You going all right? Nah, nah. I'm glad they're going to end soon. eh? it's just um, I love my kids, but I've seen a lot of them, and um, there's a reason why teachers are paid well. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yep. Yeah. Well, yeah, I I agree, man. I'm looking forward to going going fishing. You know, it's uh, it always sneaks up on me, eh? Like I always go, God, I've been slacking going fishing. I've really got to get out. I've got to make the time. It's not going to present itself. Get out there, get out there. And then, um, you know, I might say to the family, you know, I'm, I'm I, I think I'm going to go stay a couple of days up there. For, you know, just bring swag. Oh, cool. Well, um, good luck. We'll be here on school holidays. And you're just like, no, not again. It's almost perpetual sometimes, you know. It just seems like it's on forever. School holidays, public holidays. For someone who likes to fish midweek, this is terrible, man. And the weather's been so glamorous. 
Flammers. Yeah. School holidays. It has. Bit of, bit of rain, tiny bit of rain the last two days, but it was more annoying than anything. No real volume in it, but yeah. Fairy piss, mate. Mm, fairy piss. That's yeah. all that was. Sure thing. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, man. Um, anyway, good time of year, man. I love I love winter for fishing. I reckon it's particularly for salt water. Fresh water shit house in, in winter. Yep. Yeah. Big, big fan of the, um, of the cold water. Well, as cold as it gets in, in the old uh, Kingsland, anyway. <laughs> Kingsland, I love it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. yeah, mate. All right. You got any plans, mate? No, no. I um, might go and get a brim on fly. Might not. Probably. I wonder might. how how is your um? Did you put that post up that you, you did put that post up? You said you were going to do in the intro, right? Yeah, yeah. It's up there. It's, it's scoring. How's it going? There's How's a few... it going? Yeah, it's happened, mate. There's a few people making comments. Yeah, That's who's it. the who's the biggest uh, who's, who's who's eating the biggest hook, mate? Uh, I'm not going to mention any names. Well, why not, mate? People could go to your post and see it anyway. Well, he, I just don't like it. You know, he's uh, I don't like hanging shit on this guy. He's sensitive, but he he may or may not look like a an NRL coach. And he says, uh, "Well, Volts, you've reached a new low." And then three laughing emojis. <laughs> One thing I've noticed about um, your interactions on social media is people love to give you shit, don't they? I don't know why that is. You know? Do you feel as though you know that um, that you might pay it forward sometimes with people to, for them to feel like comfortable enough to write something like that? Oh, I don't know, mate. I- I just, I just ride with it. I don't, I don't look too deeply at it. Um, do I deserve it? I don't know. I don't think I do. You, know? you think I, you, do you think you antagonise these people? I mean, like, it's, it's, it's one I, I, thing. Yeah. Yeah, mate. I feel like I feel the, feel the, uh, the, the universe with positive energy. You know, mm. I think it's unfair. Yeah. You do, right? Yeah. It, it'd be interesting to hear if any of these guys felt as though you know you might have given them a hard time. Once or twice in their time of knowing you. Yeah, yeah, it'd be interesting to hear from them about this, you know. Mm. Yeah, like one of these guys has made a comment. It's like I pranked him once, you know, or I got one of my mates to call him up and prank him. It was. It's been. I don't know why he's, he can't let that go. It's just. Who's that, mate? I'll tell you off air. Yeah. Is this a chicken chicken sandwich? Have I told you that joke? <laughs> no, <laughs> no, you haven't. You know, I'm dying to know. Yeah, is, you, is it is it one of those chicken sandwiches you can get on Forex Island? <laughs> that was another one. No. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah. look, we're 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 spruiking a lot of in jokes going on now. It's not good. Not not making good podcasting, mate. Look, um. Uh-huh. Yeah. We can we can just get out of here, mate. We just done a pretty long podcast. We, you know, we've earned our coin. Let's face it. Yeah. We've earned the money, the no money we make, and um, yeah, <laughs> we could just move on from there. Yeah, we'll never get this time back. Enjoy never get this time back. Yeah, okay. thoroughly enjoyed it though. Yeah, it was good. I enjoyed it. It's good. Mm. All right, catch ya. See you later, folks. I'm an apologist. 
we may never meet I stay real discreet In the mud beneath your feet Some of us are eaten by showbiz That is true Baby, don't eat the green ones They taste like slimy spew But it ain't great curd It's all about the mud Well, it ain't great, but it's all about the mother. 
that they could be No, 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 well it ain't great crowd It's all about the mother that they could be Yeah, 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 well it ain't great crowd It's all about the mother The Benthic Boogie